Blast of Us sales and press. And somebody come get her. They're closing down Avengers. Well, hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I am your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, is still Chris, the bruised canoe, figs. Or maybe you can be the bruised canoeer, since we're saying it's an act, like you're somebody who commits bruised canoes on people. Well, wouldn't a bruised canoeer just be a canoeer who is bruised? Nah, not in this situation. Okay. No, there's a joke. There's a joke. Yeah. I mean, I can call you the rusty trombone, but I can also just say that you're a rusty tromboner, which that's funny mm. just because the word boner's in there. Yeah. But boner. that's for a different time and a different show. Welcome to Triangle Squared PlayStation Podcast. Uh, if this is your first time with the show, we hope you stick around. We will, of course, as the show goes on, uh, be talking about Square Enix sending out reviews in a very partial manage, uh, you know, way to different people leaving some people out as well as leaving pc out for some reason it would seem uh we have the end of marvel's avengers coming to us uh and more but we always start this show off in a time-honored way of checking in on each other what we've been playing this week so that you guys can hopefully find some new games that you might like or I may find something from Chris, like let's build a zoo that I want to play up next <laughs> on my docket. So Chris, starting with you, good sir. What have you been up to? What have you been playing? Oh, so I've been playing a couple of games. Um, I'm still grinding. Let's build a zoo. It's getting tedious, but I think I, I really like the game. It's just, I've been doing, I've been staring at screens this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Cause sure. I'm doing a lot of breeding. So it's like these two animals uh, and I was saying in our Discord, which you can join at the link below, it it's hard because there's two levels of RNG in this trophy, and it's you have to breed them, but you need to get a male and a female. So sometimes you have to breed something you don't need to get the right sex, but then to get the next um, genome that you haven't discovered, it's like twenty percent, twenty five percent. 15% to get the new genome. It's like, dude, come on. Like I have, I've been breeding gorillas for two days and it hasn't happened, but sometimes I'll get it on the first try. So that's been very frustrating, but the game is fun. So that's where we need the weirdest Pokemon crossover ever. We needed to do a, a Pokemon event where they add ditto to let's build a zoo. And then they just have it to where it's a, you know, yeah, that, <laughs> that would be that nice. Way you can, <laughs> And they add shiny, shiny zoo animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but overall, I, I solved a lot of my issues that I was having a couple weeks ago. My zoo runs very well. It's just this part that I'm trying to maximize. And then you got to buy all the plots of land. And that takes a lot of money. So it's interesting. Um, I'm having a lot of fun. Have you played the bad side yet? I have not. No, I'm trying to finish my good playthrough. Okay. I still need to know whether or not you can use your infinite source of rabbits as food for other animals. Just because it's a curiosity at this point, I'd really like to know. I would like to know. I don't know how the game would surface that because they have hunger meters. But like, if I put a bunch of rabbits in the lion cage, will that bring down the hunt, hunt uh, the hunger meter? I, I'm not entirely sure yet. I'll give it a shot. That would be even cooler because you wouldn't have you wouldn't be doing the act in a way you would, but what you'd really be doing is creating a situation in which 
it's it's doing itself. And then it's like if you're just savvy enough to it, you can realize, oh, it's working because they're eating the rabbits. The problem is that would work for any animal that will that's a carnivore. So I feel like it would kind of break the game. I mean, you still got to feed the rabbits for the rabbits to stay alive. I guess that the question would become, if you did it that way, if you just had them in the same pen, eventually you would think that the carnivore would kill out all the bunnies. Is that right? I would think so, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But fair enough. I'm not entirely sure. Other than that, it's been the PS4 port of Persona Golden and the PS4 port of Bayonetta. Mm. So what got you on Bayonetta? Just because you thought you might want to play 2 and 3? Um, honestly, it was 850 and I've always wanted to play Bayonetta. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I bought it. So it was just cheap enough? Yeah, it was just there. I was like, sure, might win as well. I bought ba- I bought Vanquish when it came out. So, I mean, I didn't need the double pack. So I figured I'll just buy Bayonetta, <clears> play <throat> that, and then go on. And Bayonetta's great. Yeah, has, the, has we were talking issues. as you were playing it. It's like you, you you seem to be enjoying it, but then you have to get over the feeling of if you want to continue playing the series, you're going to have to do so on your Switch. And you had mentioned that you don't really love that idea and you may just not do it because you don't really want to play your Switch. So yeah. how, can you like quantify that? Because I, I feel like I get you and I understand and in most ways I just outright agree. But it's almost a little difficult to try and describe to someone why I feel like I just don't feel like playing the Switch. <laughs> it's a problem uh, I constantly I mean, have. I think in the end it's pretty simple, especially with Bayonetta, right? I'm playing it at 60 FPS. I don't want to play it at 20 FPS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's my big thing. It's like I don't want to play a worse version of a game I'm playing right now just to get the story that I could watch on YouTube. I'll j- I honestly will just watch the story. But yeah, I'll spend an hour watching these cutscenes and move on. Like, that's fine. See, I thought it was a little odd when they announced they were porting Bayonetta 1 to PS4 and Xbox because in my mind, what's the benefit? Like, Vanquish doesn't have any sequels tied to it. There's nothing. It's not a series. It's a beloved niche title. I could see why it makes sense to do that one. But Bayonetta Mm -hmm. is a series that goes on. If anything, you would have thought a Bayonetta remaster would have been exclusive to switch why put it on the other systems when nintendo has the the rights i guess you could argue at the same point why put crisis core on all the other systems if final fantasy 7 remake is exclusive to ps5 and pc yeah but also ps5 and pc both have 60 frames per second options and stuff so still slightly yeah (laughs) i i mean i think the end of the reality is Sega has an IP that they don't own anymore, but they own this game, so they're just getting their money out of it while they can. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. And I'm I'm not even entirely sure that Sega doesn't own the IP. I think they do. I just think that basically Nintendo has a such a stake in it or is funding the games uh with a certain agreement, a contract in place to where they get a certain amount of the money. Um but I'm not sure. You know, I actually don't know how that works. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to imagine it's just a situation where they own this game, but they don't own the rest of them since Nintendo does. But I don't know. It seems it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know why Nintendo. I don't know. The game wouldn't have been made without Nintendo. So good for them. It just seems like a weird series. Yeah, for uh, sure. 
hold to themselves, but good for them. I'm not going to play it, yeah, though. Yeah, good for them. <laughs> All right, Chris. I'm glad you ended up bringing that up. Uh, I mean, clearly you love Persona 4 Golden. You've talked about that I in the do. past, even though you've talked more about Persona 5. Uh, so have, have you played and beat Persona 4 Golden in the past, or have you just kind of loosely played it but never finished I've it? I've played most of it on Vita, mm-hmm. but this will probably be the first time I truly beat it. I'm going to go for Platinum, so I'm, I'll, I'll play the crap out of it now. Um Controversially, though, I played a little bit of Persona 3 Portable and went, no, thank you, and turned it off. (laughs) Too dated for you? It's not that it's too dated. I don't mind games being dated. What I don't like is the portable version. And I think this is my fault. Like, I screwed myself by not doing a little bit more research, but I don't like the point and click stuff in it. Like, I don't want to do that. And yeah, it got to the like I like I like the story setup. All that seems cool, but I got to the first like oh, explore this area, and you just have a it's just a destiny menu with the little cursor, and then you hold over. And I was like I I'm not I don't play visual novels. Like Ace Attorney occasionally is where you'll get me, but I don't know. I didn't want to play a visual novel. I hate that type of menu setup, and I know that this is different. You're talking about an actual game, uh, yeah. Gran Turismo 7 kind of sort of adopted this, but you can still work around without it. But like Destiny 2's menu, I hate. I It's the same as No Man's Sky. I do not want to have to use a cursor. If you want to make that an option, I'm totally fine with that. But then allow me to supersede it by just hitting left and right or down, whatever, on the D-pad so that mm-hmm. I can just move through the inventory or the menu without that because it's super annoying having to move through a inventory by just slowly but surely moving a cursor around. It's a controller. The whole point of the controller is to not use a mouse. Why would you pretend to make me use a mouse on a yep. controller? Yeah, and it's just it's I'm sure people will say will tell me that like that's not the whole game, but it was one of those things where I bought it and I started it with Persona 4 ready to go too. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to play the game I want to play, which is Persona 4. So I'll probably get back to Persona 3 Portable, uh, but we'll see. And that also entirely depends on if Atlas releases a remake, which they are rumored to have in the pipeline. So, Yeah, that's a weird thing about Atlas is I feel like Persona has this weird thing where Persona's been around since PlayStation 1, but we got Persona 5 at like the beginning of the PS or the beginning of the PS4 or late PS3. Yeah. And then we got Persona 5 again at the end of the PS4, beginning of the PS5. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're going to get a three remake before we get six. So six will probably come out towards the end of the PlayStation 5. Um, it's just an interesting setup. But I guess when you have a series with as much, it's still niche in many ways, but with as much loyal fans as something like Persona. I guess you can kind of juggle your titles that way. It kind of reminds me of Pokemon, but Pokemon clearly is way bigger. But they can be like, oh, in the in-between, we can just re-release a game we already made <laughs> spruced up. You right. know? Yeah, but, I mean, absolutely. Golden, in many ways, is a remake of 4, right? I mean, it's not a port. It's a ground-up remake. So It is. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll that's where they are. I'm going to give it a... I'll give it a shot at some point. Just not anytime okay. soon, I don't think. Fair enough. All right. Well, that been it. That would be it. All right. Well, I'm still on Need for Speed Unbound. (laughs) Um, 
I am down to the last trophy. And unfortunately, I realized uh, as I was getting close to getting the platinum that I thought I was going for, which is uh, the same as the last three Need for Speed games have been. Um, maybe not Need for Speed 2015. I can't remember on that one. But Unbound, unfortunately, has online trophies. And that hasn't been too bad. I actually haven't minded it. It's like a win a playlist, which is typically three races online uh, in each class. So A, A+, plus, B, S, S+. Plus. Um, so there's five of those. And then there's 25 online playlist completions. Also not that bad. Takes a little bit, but not bad at all. And then there's Full House, which is complete an online playlist. So three races with seven other players. So basically you have a full race of eight people made up entirely of online people. And the problem with that is the game puts you in an online open world that is separate from the story world. Also a little different, but fine, I can handle that. And whenever people start events, it creates a vote system at the top. And anyone who joins is who's part of that race. So if only two people are in that race, only two people are actually racing. It's really rare in a server of 16 people with a max party size of four. So even if you tried going in saying, well, I'm going to do it with all people I know, the most you could do is four. So you have to still rely on four Seriously? strangers to accept a race and then not drop out at all throughout the race all the way to the end of the final one. Now here's, I, I've, I went, I played the entire uh, one thing that's good is it's a separate online world, but all of the collectibles and activities in the world still work in the online and still count towards the trophies. Nice. So while I was cleaning up all of that, I did as much of it as possible in the online world so I'd have opportunities to do races as they came up. And I had one race where I did have eight people and we were going. And then I guess my internet messed up or EA's servers messed up or unbounds. I don't know. But at halfway through the final race of having all eight of us in there and sticking through it, my internet disconnected. So it's the oh, only no. reason I do not have the platinum right now. So, hey, if you have Need for Speed Unbound and you want to help me try and get the platinum, uh, feel free to hit me up. Maybe you need that trophy too, like Kevin Bacon Bits does, um, one of our other people playing in the uh, trophy competition. So I was going to get this separate of the trophy competition anyway. It's kind of just my ritual to platinum the Need for Speed games as they come out, so long as I like them. Um, and I do like this game, so I'm glad to be able to keep that going. Uh, only other game I've played this week is Ghost of Tsushima, which I'm working towards for the PlayStation 5 Platinum. Oh, okay. I was like, that's a weird pull. It's not Let's Build yeah. the Zoo, but weird pull. Well, it's something that I already know, so I can just put it on and throw it on at lunch without much of an issue right? and just play it. Like, And mm -hmm. yeah, it's nice to re-experience it, but it's also just nice to play it and have fun because the combat system is still great in that game and I really like it. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying all that. It reminds me of how, uh, how slow of a burn that game kind of is, which was an interesting thing around that time, like Days Gone, slow burn, goes to Tsushima, slow burn. The game doesn't really seem to pick up much steam until the end of the first island. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I don't mean that it's bad. I just think it is a slow burn in the truest sense of it. Um, I think that's true of a bunch of games from that era so yeah that's kind of where i'm at i'm still sticking with uh mostly one game at a time but i'm working towards that trophy that trophy competition here you know <laughs> do you get any uh did you get anywhere on that i mean i guess no platinums this week no um 
Yeah, my, my platinums are going to be a little slow burn. I'm close. I'm close on Bayonetta, so I have all the collectibles so far, and then it'll just be um, doing the game on hard, some of the miscellaneous uh, combat stuff. So that'll probably be yeah. my next one, depending on how into the Let's Build a Zoo I get in the next couple of days. <laughs> is it a is it a fairly high point platinum? Um, Bayonetta. I don't think so. I want to say it's around like twenty eight on twenty eight hundred. It's not nothing, but it's not you know a ton. Yeah, twenty eight sixty three. So I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, it'll bump me up better than better than what I've done so far. And I was kind of wondering because uh, Need for Speed Unbound, I felt like was slightly higher than some of the others. I don't actually. The more I think about it, I think Heat was relatively high. But it's 3,088 right now. Last time I checked, it was 3,200, um, if I remember correctly. So it's starting to go down. But it must be that full house trophy that's getting everybody, that's making this a little bit more rare of a platinum. Yeah, that seems like something you have to actually seek out where the rest aren't really. So it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess the easiest way to do it is, uh, yeah, the full house trophy is worth 66 points. Jeez. If I'm understanding that correctly. Actually, what is what is that number? Maybe it's not points. Uh, it must be how many people have the trophy. No. Some of these feel odd to be this high. If it is points. I think it's people with the... Interesting. Either way, <clears throat> whatever it is, that's a pretty rare trophy. So Hell yeah. Well, it's a good, it's a good pickup. That game <clears throat> will be good for your... List that re- at least. Uh, yeah, that and Ghost of Tsushima should put me like another five thousand points. Jeez, <laughs> I'm getting screwed. I gotta, I gotta start catching up. I mean, let's build a zoo is pretty impressive. So it is. It's like a four thousand one. So we'll see if I end up. Yeah, you'll one. be if you get that one. That'll be a pretty honorable one. I really wish that the uh, PS4 port of uh, Game Dev Story that Josh had, had talked about had after we talked about it on the episode had a platinum because yeah. I would 100% go for that. I, that game was super fun. Give me a reason to play it. Yeah. A, I would have loved a Vita version of that. That just seems like a game that's easy to plop down and play on a handheld where you don't have to focus because it's not about, you have to focus, but it's not about story or anything. Right. You know, it's, it's strictly just managing what's going on. And I really like that game. So I'll still probably get it and earn the trophies, but unfortunately it, can't be that high of a list. I can only imagine it's uh it's pretty short. Let's see real quick though. Game dev story. <clears throat> Maybe a couple hundred. 373. Yeah, yeah. Points. It could be worse. Yeah, it could be worse. I mean, it's still worse than a jumping taco, I think. <laughs> well, they have platinum, so who knows? But yeah, it sounds like Fair it enough. sounds like you had a good week. Are you uh <clears throat> unbound? I is it worth forty? Like I, I know we've talked oh, about 100%. this before, but as someone who's not a huge Need for Speed guy, I guess is more my question. Yeah, is it on sale right now, or are you just kind of wondering if you should keep an eye out? I'm just wondering if I should keep an eye out because I like Need for Speed games, yeah. but I usually get them for free, so it's a hard. That's the other thing, but the thing is, is if you're looking at it as a also a game that you could work towards with a trophy uh, competition. Yeah. Typically, I feel like we get these games free about a year and a half after they come out, maybe two mm. at most, because we got Heat, like what, a year and some odd ago, and this has yeah, been three like years that. since Heat. So, 
Yeah, with that in mind, I feel like you could probably end up swinging that. But at the same time, it's totally worth 40, 30. It, you'll probably catch it around that pretty often. So, uh, yeah, if you end up wanting to try it out, it's definitely, I think it's a fun platinum, but it depends on the kind of thing that you like doing. I like that you have to get three stars on all the different activities around the world. I actually think that that's better than having to find all the, I don't mind the collectibles. I think open world, I think racing games have a really interesting take on open world because I was thinking about Lakeshore is huge, Mm -hmm. but in context to how quickly you move around it as you get towards the end game and have very fast cars, it's not that big. And it's crazy because a game with the same footprint as Lakeshore that wasn't a driving game where you move at, you know, 200 miles an hour, Lakeshore would probably be massive. Like, yeah. But it's interesting that open world games have to be, or open world racing games have to be even bigger to feel big at all for a racer. Otherwise, they run the risk of, you can just drive to the other side of the map in three minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Which is great when you're doing the collectibles and stuff because it's like at any point you're like, oh, I missed one over here because it'll it'll have a check beside a collectible if you located it but weren't able to get it for some reason. Like maybe it was a billboard that you didn't find the jump that you had to hit to hit it uh, or whatever it be. <clears throat> um, or you were being chased by the cops and you got close enough for it to register but you couldn't actually stop and get it. So that stuff's fun because you'll be like, oh, I can just get to the other side in the late game in like three and a half minutes if, if that uh, but <clears throat> I think that they have a really interesting uh, view on how to do an open world game. Um, and in ways it's, it's really interesting to see. I was thinking about the first ones that we had, right? Like uh, underground two and carbon and most wanted and how they approached it. And they've come away since then, but clearly it makes sense that a car game would want to have moved to open world, but I got to give them credit for the need for original need for speed games and midnight club as well. Uh, midnight club three for having the balls to kind of go open world and actually do something interesting with it. That is still not really what you see in other open world games. It's pretty much strictly the racing genre. So yeah, if cool. you can catch it for 40, 30, give it a try. Definitely Maybe when I'm done, I can just radar. send you my physical copy with all my Christmas stuff. I still haven't sent you. <laughs> Hell yeah, please do. I'll definitely play. Yeah, it. we'll do that. All right, cool. cool. I mean, I can't help you platinum it at that point if you end up needing help. <laughs> That's a valid throwing thing. that out there. <laughs> but you know, if you're not, if you don't suck, you can you can make it happen. The game's pretty yeah, I'll challenging. Just, I'll give it that. I'll just boost. Be like, hey guys, yeah, I need some help. Go. I'll find a way. That's the problem with boosting right now, though, because you can only do a party of four. I'm not even sure how to boost because at most I can boost four people, and then I still am at the whim of. 12 other people in this server i need at least four of those 12 to also choose to race that's fair yeah it'll be interesting i give it a shot yeah i think i can make it happen. i'm gonna try it i'm gonna get i'm gonna give it a real try me and uh kevin bacon bits are gonna go for it uh, i'm gonna hit him up so uh but moving on for the community's take for last week, since I realized I did not end the episode with one, uh, actually was suggested to us by uh, Brandon Rogers, one of our patrons. Uh, he goes by BRodge88 over in the Discord. He says, instead of fuck, Mary kill, which is what we talked about at the end of last week's episode from one of the questions we were asked, uh, 
I think it's worth going back and listening to it if you haven't. It's towards the end of the episode. He says, how about a Play Platinum Trade series edition with the three series being God of War, Final Fantasy, and Uncharted? So I'd like to start this off by actually giving B-Rod's answer. He says, Platinum Uncharted, Play God of War, Trade Final Fantasy. So then that kind of tells you where his uh, gaming tendencies lie. Before we move on to the rest of everyone's Chris, do you have a do you have a quick answer you've uh, approached on this? Um, yeah, Platinum Final Fantasy, play Uncharted, trade God of War. Do you have a reason why for each of those? Does this kind of gut or what you're most interested in? Uh, Platinuming all of Final Fantasy would be an insane achievement and super respectable. Um, I don't. Uncharted is probably one of my favorite game series of all time. And quite frankly, I don't particularly care for God of War as much as I've tried. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's well known. I'm not surprised on that one in particular. Yeah. Um, so what makes this kind of weird is like platinum and play are so similar in the sense of like what it's like. So you're in that sense, it would feel like whoever says that they would platinum this series over playing this series is that you would, you think that the one you're platinuming would be a better game. I guess that depends on how you value platinum. Since I value platinums as a ultimate show of me enjoying the game enough to want to get the platinum, that would mm-hmm. almost imply that whatever game I say or whatever series I'm, I say I'll platinum, <clears throat> I would like more than the other series. But I don't know if that's true. I think it comes down to, in this case, which one's a more enjoyable platinum? And then yeah. because I tend to not play games again after I've platinum them, the other question is, Play would probably go to the series that I like that I want to play multiple times, but maybe I don't have interest in platinuming it. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, the Final Fantasy as platinum is literally just because, like, having that list, especially with the pixel remasters coming out, if you could have one, two, three, four up through 15 and, you know, the remakes and Crisis Core, I think that would just be the, be very, you'd get a Kotaku article written about you, right? <laughs> but, and I look at Uncharted at, at play as like, A, I've gotten all the Platinums but three already. And B, yeah. I feel like that's one of those like, if you if you knew Uncharted, any of those games really, but especially Uncharted 1, you could beat that in like eight hours. So it's like, it's sure. a much more digestible, like, I'm just going to play, I, I'm, I feel I'm feeling Uncharted, I'm going to play it quick, you know? Well, yeah, it's like people who, uh, and, I, and I know we've had some listeners write in and say that they play Uncharted yearly, and I can kind of see how that would be possible to do. I think it's still a bit too much for my blood, um, but you know, at one point in time, I used to play Kingdom Hearts 1 every year, and I abandoned that about five years ago because it's just, it's 24 hours minimum, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, and doing that every year, as much as I love that game, it's like you start to wear on the game a little bit and the fun of it starts to kind of burn a little bit. And it, it's not a value judgment of the game because I still love it. It's just I don't want to play it that often because it starts to burn in. It's kind of like where I'm at with the order. I've gotten to a point where I can play the order like every two years or so, which is pretty good because every time it's been long enough for me to be like, yeah, okay, I definitely remember why I like this game, but it's not close enough for me to be like, well, I already know why I like this game. Why would I want to play it right now? Uh, right. It's kind of why I waited to play Nier Automata until we did the spoiler chats on it because I did not. It's like it's too long, and I remember it well enough that playing it that quickly again seems 
challenging when there's other stuff to play. Uh, some of the other answers we have here, the Lord Corgi, one of our patrons, he says, play God of War series, since I have the platform, almost all of them already, platinum the Uncharted series, since I only have the Uncharted 2 plat, and getting all the plats would be a good excuse to replay the series. And finally, trade Final Fantasy, because I've only ever beaten Final Fantasy VII Remake and played some of thirteen and ten. <laughs> Checks out. I can so basically where your interests have fallen in line. Uh the God of War Platinums are pretty rough. And actually, Aztec King, another one of our patrons, two names we don't hear very often. Uh, good to hear from you guys. He says, as it stands now, I would play Final Fantasy, Platinum Uncharted, and trade God of War. Just to be clear, the only reason I'm trading God of War is because I've already played and platinumed this series. It's by far my favorite out of the three. Um, yeah. Then we have Velvet Thunder, who says... I love this answer. I don't platinum games, so I'd fuck Cloud, marry Nathan Drake, and kill Kratos. I like Kratos, but I think sex with him would hurt. Which which Kratos? Hmm. I mean, because you mean like Greek I, era or yeah? Well, that's that's the think, thing, right? Because I'm thinking about this que- the the question that he's now proposed. And I think I would be Mary Kratos, fuck Drake, kill Cloud. Okay. Because Greek Greek era Kratos, no thanks. Kill kill that Kratos. Like, but Norse era Kratos. If you can. That's wonderful the problem, husband. You can. Sure. I'm I'm assuming in this hypothetical I'm an all powered, like more powerful than him, all powered god. <laughs> like I'm Galactus, okay. and but like Norse Kratos, like objectively the best husband out of all of these. Cloud, prote- annoying. Uh, Drake, bad husband, lies to his wife. That's that's the whole. Yeah. That's all of Uncharted Four. Bad husband. Kratos climbed a mountain. Fuck yeah, climb my mountain every day. You know what I mean? And he climbed a mountain because his dead wife wished him to do it as her last wish. Exactly. Great husband. I'm telling you. Husband material. You know what? I get you. But the, here's the thing. Do you do you think do you, <laughs> He said he he posits a good point. He thinks sex with Kratos would hurt. Do you think do you think Kratos's sex life as well as the rest of him has calmed down or do you think whenever he's getting in them sheets he pulls back up that uh that God rage a little bit, you, you know, basically what I'm asking is, do you think Faye wanted him to go to pound town or do you think she wanted a smooth lover? Uh, I feel like that version of Kratos would be much more gentle. Mm, you think so? Yeah. I'd have to imagine. Okay. But then again, like he's nailing gods. Like he, he can <laughs> smash with the best. Like it's fine. Aphrodite can take it. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. The last one here, one more patron. And remember, guys, if we didn't get to yours, it's not because we didn't read it and didn't like it. Uh, we can only do so many. 
And we always give uh, preferred reading to our patrons who went over to patreon.com slash nartech and gave as little as a dollar per month to support the show. It's just a way for us to say thank you to them uh, by making sure that we try and get their thoughts read a little more often. Though we will rotate through as we see more interesting answers or different names that we haven't heard from. Uh, so Matthew Green, he says, play Uncharted, Platinum Final Fantasy, depending which one. Uh, we're talking the series, buddy. Trade God of War. Um, I think my answer would probably be, I, I appreciate what you're saying. Platinuming all Final Fantasies would be like uh, the Holy Grail in some ways. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like your thing where you used to say that you wanted to uh, like play and or platinum Red Dead Redemption back when you still were against it because you wanted to be able to talk shit about it with no one able, able to question whether or not you played it. Because it's like, no, no, yeah. and I play it. I beat it. And I platinumed it. I will talk as much <laughs> shit as I want. I would kind of like that because, like, right? Say the next Final Fantasy game after 16 sucks ass. Yeah. It would be kind of great to be like, I platinumed all Final Fantasies. I can say whatever I want. But that's also just not who I am. I mean, if I don't like the game, I'll say why, clearly. But I'm not trying to be a dick. It would just be funny to be able to throw that at people's faces for the shock value. Of like, yeah. well, who are you to say Final Fantasy 17 sucks? <laughs> I'm the fucking guy who's got all 16 games platinum. What's up, bitch? <laughs> I mean, Technically, world I don't, Final you can't Fantasy. platinum 11 online, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Get it out of here. You can have like 30 Final Fantasies if you platinum all of the side games and whatnot. Yep. I'm going to do it. That's my goal for 2024. Do you imagine someone who platinum 7? Seven remake, eight, nine, if nine gets a remake, the remake of nine. Like, when does it end? <laughs> At what point? Ends. Oh, man. It's like uh, Liam. He ends up platinuming every version of Nier that comes out. And good on him. I'm proud of him. But I don't even want to do the final little bit that I have to get the platinum for Replicant right now. <laughs> and I didn't want to do it on PS3. And it's exactly the reason I don't have it on PS3. So that's funny. Um, I should look at see how much that's worth, though, because throughout the year, I could totally knock that out. 2,282. But I've already got the majority of the trophies, so I'd only get a couple hundred points. That's fair. But it would be a platinum. There you go. And who knows? Platinum's what matters. Yeah, maybe you can be platinum high. Like, is that a thing where, like, our score is essentially the same, which seems impossible, but you got more platinum, so you win because (laughs) you were platinum high? (laughs) I think if we end up adding like superlatives, maybe like most platinums will get like a bonus amount of points. I still like that yeah. idea. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys for answering. And thanks to, uh, to B-Rods for submitting that question. That was a fun one. Um, but Velvet Thunder, coming back around to our man, he says, if a 3D mascot platformer was made with you as inspiration for the main character, which anthropomorphic animal would you be? And what would be the main collectible of the game. Oof. Oof. Um, hmm. Anthropomorphic animal. <sighs> it becomes a problem of like, do you want to be original and make sure that you're an animal that's not been anthropomorphized a lot? Or True. do you just want to go with some of the ones you already know you love? Because part of me wants to be like a raccoon because, first of all, I fucking love raccoons. They're adorable. And Sly is kind of fucking cool. <laughs> like, true. You know? That's true. But then you do have a Sly game already. I think 
If it was me, I would be a cow because then I could collect cheese and different cheese related foods. Are you a big cheese fan? No, I just make pizza for a living, so it seems fitting. So you don't want your collectible to be something specific to you? Or do you want it to be themed to what you're doing? It's like to I feel like are. it's got to be themed. Because if it was like me, it would be like, oh, I'm a zebra who collects Persona 5 characters. Like, <laughs> Well, the reason I asked is like, you can say like uh, Crash is a marsupial, so he picks up uh, strange fruit, right? It's technically fake fruit, but you can kind of understand it because okay. it's like, okay, well, it seems like exotic fruit. But then we have to ask ourselves, why the fuck is Mario collecting gold coins? And why is Sonic cor- collecting rings? Is it just because they looked cool and they were easy to show off on the systems? Or are so. we saying that it's themed to the character? I mean, at this point, you could say rings are themed to Sonic, but that's only because it's been around for so long that you don't question it. I feel like it's obvious that Mario collects coins because of the crippling effects of late-stage capitalism. But sure. I, Fair point. <laughs> I don't have a good reason why <laughs> Sonic collects rings. But then we have to ask ourselves, if we're talking about the crippling you know, uh, results of late-stage capitalism, as you're, as you're positing here, then wouldn't every Mario game we need to collect absurdly more amounts of coins as inflation has gone about? Like the first Mario game, one coin would be like, my man's busting out here a millionaire. And by the time <laughs> that we're playing Super Mario Odyssey, my man's like, I need fucking 78 coins to equal one now. <laughs> what the fuck, bro? <laughs> yes, that would be a great thing. Um, yeah. I think my final answer is okay. I would be a zebra because zebras are my favorite animal. Yeah. I would collect like little trophies, I think, would be like the consistent collectible. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then sure. the big collectible at the end or at in the middle of every level hidden around is a novel of One Piece that I can't find. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'd be pretty good. Yeah, every time so. and have a running thing throughout the story like where you like you go to stores and ask and they're like no we don't have that one <laughs> that's that would and then be, you have to go out and find it in the in that the would be the game each level is a different bookstore that i've gone to to try and find a copy of one piece yeah i gotcha all right well good answer good answer Chris. You. what's your answer i have two potential answers right but i'm trying to figure out which one i like more Part of me wants to go... I love narwhals. I think they're super fucking cool. So part of me would want to be an anthropomorphized narwhal. And I also think a game in the water could be really fun. Part of me thinks about that because I used to like the Echo the Dolphin games. When I first got a cell phone, you know, that where they could play games as a smartphone, there was this game where you were a shark and you ran around eating stuff. Essentially Maneater, but 2D. And I played the fuck out of that. And then Maneater is a great game. It does it, it's it's a simple premise, but it's super fun. So part of me wants that because I think it can make for a fun game where you're <laughs> I'm running around as a narwhal and you know uh, collecting. I'm trying to think that like, do you want to be cute or macabre? It's like I'm collecting <laughs> fucking um, seal corpses. <laughs> 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 or would you be fighting seals? Would that be like the enemy of the game? No, I feel like mm. the game would be that you're the last narwhal and you're collecting the corpses of your family, basically. That's like the big See, collectible. now you're getting close to the idea I had for the other one, which was 
I think possums are cool as fuck and people shit on possums all the time. And I know multiple people who have had pet possums. They're really cute. They're interesting. I think that it'd be cool to have a game where you play as possum. And then I started thinking, like, have you ever played Rayman? Where yes. like you find where you break the little crates, they have like the little floaty balls that are in there with eyeballs. Yes. And I can't remember the name of them right now. But part of Floaty me thinks balls. about like that and Sonic where like you collect um, the animals in the Sonic games, the little animals that break out of Dr. Eggman's final things. And then in the adventure series, uh, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But in the adventure series, there's like the the animals you can find in the crates and then the capsules you can give them. Yeah. So part of me thought like you could be a, you could be a possum and you collect baby possums. And like as that. you run across the stage and you find them, they cling onto your body. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of possums that have all their babies on them, but I kind of mm-hmm. like that idea. But then part of me likes the idea of a possum where all the collectibles is just trash and the tagline is one man's trash is a possum's treasure. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea too. That's pretty good. Do that. So, one man's trash yeah. is another possum's treasure. I like that a lot. <laughs> it's good. It's good. They're not even that. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess at that point, I'm getting close to Crash Bandicoot because I mean, a possum's a marsupial at the very least. Um, maybe my marsupial could be like nonverbal, and then he could have a super smart sister who has a laptop. Wait a minute, I'm just doing Crash. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> now, I like the question. It, it really makes you think because, like, I don't want to immediately make a game we've already done, right? Yeah, it, or that's already been done, even though. Earthworm Jim. I mean, that's technically an anthropomorphized animal. It's an anthropomorphized something. But that's what it is. Uh, Velvet Thunder, thank you, sir. Uh, I guess, hey, if you guys feel like uh, shouting out what your 3D mascot platformer uh, anthropomorphized animal would be in your collectible, go for it. Let's hear it. Uh, Velvet Thunder, I need to hear yours now at this point. One of the... uh, one of the members in the Discord said, I already know Brett's answer to the question. He said, orangutan because of the beard. And then, hold on, I gotta go find it. <laughs> I felt like the collectible was really... Uh, oh, and then trophies. Which actually, yeah. I'd kind of check out. That's solid. That's solid. Yeah, I can, I can get it. Speaking of coins and games, this is a weird okay. aside, but it just crossed my head. How much of uh, Nobody Saves the Universe, or Nobody Saves the World, I keep wanting to say Universe... How much of that That's game did you sequel. play? Um, yeah. Not very much. I got like the rat or whatever. Okay. That's the very beginning of the game. Yeah. One thing that infuriates me about that game, and I don't really know why it should, but it bothered me the entire game. There are multiple forms of money, right? It'll be like a gem or a coin or a dollar, and they all look different. But no matter what, they're all the exact same fucking value. And it bothers me because I'm like, why not just make them all coins at that point? If you're going to take the time to make one a gem and one a dollar bill and one a gold coin and one a silver coin, make these fucking coins worth different things so that I have a higher want to break them. Because like, I don't know how many Metroidvanias you've played, but like Bloodstained, um, Ritual of the Night, if you break a lamp or whatever and a coin comes down, if it's a better coin, you get more money. Right. That just bothers the shit out of me. When there's no... Why would you even bother making them look different if there's no difference in value? Food's the same thing. It can be a fucking cabbage or a chicken leg, and it's going to heal you the exact same amount. 
Why are you even hey, bothering man. them? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's some variety, I guess. I mean, yeah, visual variety, but you're telling me in a game where you have like countless builds with 18 different classes that you can mix and match as you see fit and make your own class in a weird way, you couldn't have made it to where the money has slightly different value and the food heals slightly different values? Really? Really? That's fair. Fair. Throwing that out there. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move into the news, though. As we talked about earlier, there's some different things going on in the news um, surrounding a bunch of different games. But the first one that we're going to talk about is Insomniac's deafening silence on Spider-Man 2 has been noticeable for many gamers. We haven't seen anything of the title since a trailer announced its presence in 2021. The last thing we heard was an offhanded tweet in December in which the studio reiterated that the game would release in the year of our Lord, 2023. Today, Spider-Man himself spoke on the game a bit in an interview with website Comic Book Movie. He said that the game is massive and he's still doing work on the title. He also followed Insomniac's lead by saying that Insomniac's extremely confident in their release date. The game will feature Tony Todd's Venom, along with Miles' Spider-Man being more integral to the story. So I was talking with someone about this the other day, Chris. Um, yeah. This this Miles being more integral to the story. Uh, and I have kind of a, a question within that. Uh, but before we get into that... Uh, a, this is still good that we're getting more hints that we're looking at Spider-Man 2 coming this year. You think that they're, with, with them allowing him to say this without immediately trying to go back, you think that they still feel pretty confident in a way where it's not going to impact our uh, our draft negatively? I was about to say, I have a vested interest in him being right. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, but I, I, do, I, I, do think, I do think he's right. Um I feel like Insomniac does have a pretty good track record of not delaying games very often, so mm-hmm. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that the game will be coming out this year. Well, I'd say Insomniac as a studio has probably been one of the most consistent outputting studios for PlayStation since mm-hmm. before they even bought them. But it, it almost Completely seems agree. like since they got bought, they've even gotten more consistent with their output, right? Yes. I mean, Spider-Man... And before, because so you had like uh, you had Ratchet and Clank, of course. They had put out the um, Sunset Overdrive. So Sunset Overdrive, Ratchet and Clank, Spider Man, Miles Morales, the next um, Ratchet and Clank, and now we're coming up with Spider Man Two. I mean. I'd be really curious to see them go off. My real curiosity is whether they'll keep bouncing between uh, Ratchet and Spider-Man or if they're going to let Ratchet rest for a little while again, kind of like they did after the last one. Uh, What are your thoughts there? You think that they're going to try and come up with another new IP after Wolverine? Or is it going to be... My real curiosity, and I would hope not, is it just going to be... Spider-Man game, Wolverine game, Spider-Man game, Wolverine game, or is it going to be like Spider-Man game, Wolverine game, Spider-Man game, fucking Silver Surfer game? <laughs> you know, is it just going to be whatever Marvel hero they want to do next? I was going to say, I think you're touching on what I think they're going to do, which is, yeah, we're Insomniac Marvel. <laughs> I could see like every couple of years a Ratchet game coming out by like a, you know, a guerrilla team of developers. But I really think 
it, I think it's in the best interest of the studio and in the best interest of Sony that they're pumping out Marvel content. I would only good. I think it's pretty clear that they're building a universe, whether we want them to or not. So I think they're just going to keep expanding on that. And what I'm, I'm honestly more curious if they get other studios involved more than if Insomniac stops doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think for the sake of Insomniac and the sake of PlayStation in general, right? I think that there is clearly reason to move forward with making more Marvel things and creating a universe that you can tie together, even though I think also you run the risk of people just getting too tired of having to keep up with universes. That is a risk. Like, yeah, people have to do that between games anyway, but if you have people who feel like they're having to keep up with the actual MCU and then they're having to keep up with Insomniac's uh, game universe. I can feel they're getting to a point where much like everybody thought that there'd be no way there'd ever be a Star Wars fatigue. And then sure enough, there was a Star Wars fatigue. I feel like you could hit that point uh, if you're not you, careful. Well, I have two comments on that, right? Yeah, go ahead. Games are, this is what, a game every two to three years? Whereas mm-hmm. the MCU is a movie every two to three months. And sure. I would also think that quality determines that. Like, I don't know if it's a controversial take, but the Disney Mar- Star Wars movies suck. So I don't, is there Star Wars fatigue or is there Disney Star Wars fatigue? Yeah, I think. Is there that it MCU fatigue the or is there phase four fatigue? It's it's that question, mm-hmm. right? If we were getting Infinity Wars and End Games every time we were getting a Marvel movie, I don't. Nobody would be fatigued because it would be awesome. But instead, we get Eternals, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I think and, there might actually be fatigue at that point because if every movie is to the scope and scale of of that, it would just they would start to lose their appeal. But I get what you mean. If all of them are hitting that quality level at the very right. least. Right. I mean the quality level. Like you can have Black yeah. Widow, but if Black Widow is actually good, you know, then we're not talking about Marvel fatigue. If fa- that's the thing. If Phase 4 was good in terms of every movie is an 8, then we're not we're not talking about Marvel fatigue. We're still talking how when we're still talking about when are we getting Marvel fatigue? Right, instead of looking at how they've made all these great movies, and I think that that's the same thing that translates to games. Except I have more confidence that Wolverine Two and the Blade game are going to be better than ninety percent of Phase Four was. Yeah, you know, I, I hadn't thought of it this way, but one of the things that uh, I started playing, uh, or I went and played with a friend. Um, this past weekend, uh, a new card game, a newer card game called Flesh and Blood. And uh, I was talking with some of the people that were up there. And one of the guys also played Yu-Gi-Oh! So we were talking about how like Flesh and Blood, in a lot of ways, doesn't have to deal with a lot of the things that Yu-Gi-Oh! has to deal with because of how new it is. And that Yu-Gi-Oh! has to deal with power creep, right? And you can have that in video games. You can have that with characters and things. And I've never really thought about it that way. But one of the things that happened that may be the case with MCU and everything, because you see it you see it with comic books, right? Like, well, now we're going to reset everything because everything feels like it's having to go towards this degree. And you think about the fact that like Spider-Man, No Way Home, and every Marvel movie right now feels like it's trying to be a multiple hero movie 
mm-hmm. because of how important Civil War, Infinity uh, War, and then Endgame was. And so they're trying to replicate that to some degree. And can that happen in in video games here too, right? Can, and is that what's happening in in the MCU right now? Is it partially that we're dealing with a situation where every movie has had to raise the stakes so much and so often that because every movie can't just be an Iron Man one level story anymore because expectations are too high, it also means that people are getting burnt out of these high concept ideas because they're happening too often. And then could that happen in the games? Uh, I cited this as well. If Marvel does try to take on too much or insomniac rather. I mean, I think it could for me. I've always said that if phase four of Marvel of the MCU was phase one, no one would be complaining. The problem is we just watched infinity war and Endgame, And then you poop out black widow and you expect me to care. You know, that's fair. And, and Black Widow is a good example of a non multi hero in the same sense, you know, non multi established hero. It's, it's, and for the record, I like Black Widow. I think it's a fun movie, but I think that the problem with Phase Four, and it'll depend on how they do it in games, is to me the biggest problem with Phase Four is they're trying to start again without starting again. It's like you just did this crazy thing that was executed so well. Now you're trying to start from the beginning. But I don't want to see Tony Stark building it with a box of scraps in a cave. I don't want to see that. You know, I'm past that. I kind of do. Pers- me personally, I kind of do. I do think that those other movies are better. Uh, you know, the uh, Infinite War, uh, uh, Infinity War, and whatnot. I, I have my issues with Endgame, um, but I still understand that they're very hyped up movies. But I think part of my issue is that the movies aren't able to be that simple because the fan base as a whole th- doesn't put out there that they want it. I mean, we're not talking about movies, so we can't get hung up on this too much. But the point being is <laughs> well, how these allegory. things can translate into the games, though. Yeah. And I guess part of what I mean here is, right, so one thing that is an upside and one thing for Disney that's an upside is that the MCU could at any point become less profitable for them and and they'd be okay because they've diversified with Star Wars and mm-hmm. Pixar and all these different things. So to that end, of course, Sony as a whole is diversified, but I think even on a more um, uh, micro level, I think Insomniac would benefit for being diversified. Instead of every game being part of the cinematic universe, I think it would make sense to have a Ratchet game here or a new IP here just so that people who are kind of either tired with the MCU stick or never were really that interested in the beginning. Uh, uh, don't feel like the only insomniac output they're getting is that. And I think that just helps for a number of different reasons. And it can also help with having different budget games. Cause you would imagine all the Marvel games will have massive budgets and maybe you can give somebody a, I, I would imagine definitely from the sales that happened, Ratchet and Clank's budget was considerably less than Spider-Man. I think that seems fair. I would to agree assume. with that. Yeah. So at that end, it makes sense to have a team that can go off and do something that's different, that costs less and can still be a way to bring in different people, as well as not create burnout at the studio, right? You can rotate people in who are kind of like, I'm kind of a little tired of working on these superhero games. I want to go work on something else. Okay, cool. And then the person who's like, I want to work on the superhero games, you can kind of rotate them out within the teams a little bit better. Well, I I don't think there's as much opportunity for fatigue making marvel games as there is making marvel movies 
I right. think that's fair too, just because like you well, why? Let's can we quantify well, why? Because think about it, right? Spider-Man is an open world Spider-Man game. So it's a beat 'em up, you fly around, you do side quests. Do you really think Wolverine is going to be an open world game that plays the same as Spider-Man? No, it's probably a level-based beat 'em up with God, I would I imagine so. there'll be high scores, there'll be it'll be gory, all that kind of stuff, right? They may let's say they go and they go make a Blade game. That's a stealth game. They could be a stealth game. Or even they go to bla- the, make a Black Widow game and that's a Mark of the Ninja-esque indie. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. You're not just, they make a Punisher game and it's a first person shooter. Like, you can do more things in video games than you can in movies where it's like, yes, we're making Marvel properties, but we're not making Spider Man over and over again. I think that's the difference. Which I think you touch on the biggest, the biggest thing for Wolverine is that I do have a fear. I, I, not a big one, but I do have a slight fear of like, because open worlds are so big in gaming and have a lot of pull, they're going to try and find a way to make Wolverine open world. And unless you're giving me like Wolverine in like a Witcher style world, I don't know that I want it. <laughs> and then you're like, do you really want Wolverine in like an R- a more RPG esque open world? No, that sounds that's not terrible what Spider-Man to me. Is. And, and <laughs> then that probably isn't right either. So yeah, the question is, is that, I can only see open world superhero games being somewhat similar to Spider-Man. And so my real hope is that they just eschew open world completely. <laughs> maybe they yeah. can maybe they can find a way to do something more God of War-ish, where it's like it feels open, but it's still very clearly levels that are crafted for you to kind of wide linear go through. Like I, you talked about like high scores and stuff, right? And maybe you're right, but I feel like that's looking at a game like Wolverine Origins and uh, Deadpool, and I just don't think that's the type of superhero games we're going to get now. I just don't. I, I mean, I mean, I would love to be proven wrong, but I think they're going to try and find some way to up it from that. Uh see, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I. Th- the other question, go ahead, go ahead. I just think, and I don't, I don't want them to do this, I'm not pitching this, but if you told me tomorrow that Sony was only making Marvel games, I think that's only a bad thing if you look at the, if you look at the name Marvel, right? Because I think that's, I think there's a lot of opportunity to make a very diverse portfolio while only using superheroes. I hope they don't do that. I don't want to see a Naughty Dog Lobo game. Actually, I would, but... Um, you know, but, but do you understand what I'm saying? Right. They don't need to do the same game over and over again. So I just, I don't have the fear of it getting stale personally. I feel well, speaking back more a little bit on, um, Spider-Man, how are you hoping that they integrate miles being more integral to the story? I think we've kind of talked about it before. Are you still in the camp of kind of hoping that the game bounces between playing as Peter and miles? Or I what do you so. think they're going to try and do? Because like part of my worry is that they can't put the the stealth improvements that come with Miles' power set. I don't want yeah. to go back to not having those. And playing remastered a little bit was a good example of me not wanting to go back to not having those. So then how do you solve that? Do you have Peter through his brain like, oh, look, I'm so smart. I've created a way to mimic your suit. 
so that my suit can make me refract light and look invisible. That, could, that totally that. could work. I don't I don't like it, but I think the best way to do it is, hey, you're doing a stealth mission and you're going with Miles. Or you can choose who it is, and going with Peter is just like a hard mode kind of thing. That'd be interesting, but it kind of also takes away from the ability for a, an entire mission to be dynamic. Be- I mean, it could still be there. It's just, I guess, if you chose the character ahead of time, right? Which also doesn't quite work with their open world probably working towards becoming seamless as part of the ps5 right um they probably want to have it to where when you get to a mission area you immediately load in like you really as soon as you hit start it's automatically transitioning with no load screen into the cutscene for that area yeah. i could see that and then how does that become like oh choose your character right that i don't know I'd be really curious to see how they're going to pull this off. I have a really strong feeling that they're really going to take it back to being just Peter and they're going to try and find ways to interact and create those power sets for miles. But then you also run the risk of people being like, well, you've all you've done now is minimize miles and, you know, abilities by allowing Peter to just find a way to have them because of gameplay issues. You know what I mean? Like I get it, but I feel like the best way to do it is, Let's say Peter's the only character you play as. It would at least give you small opportunities within missions that they're on together to be like, Miles, I need you to sneak in there and get that. And then you can use his Seamlessly pull the camera over to him or whatever. Exactly, yeah. I have a different hit for you. So we kind of go back to the infamous style, right? Where the game has, or you could even say like Scarlet Nexus. I don't know how much you play to that. There's plenty of games that do this. But basically... You choose at the beginning of the game whether you want to play the game from Miles' perspective or Peter's perspective. And that gives incentive to replay the game, similar to how uh, Infamous uses the good and bad playthroughs, which slightly change the story. And then you can have scenes where whenever Miles is separate from Peter, the same events are happening, but you're seeing them through Miles' perspective and what he's doing within these missions and then you come back and you can play as Peter on a separate pro- playthrough so that everything is still seamless, but you also have the option to play as Miles for the whole game or play as Peter for the whole game or play both if you want a really robust experience. Would you be uh, Would you be into that or nah? I mean, yeah. The thing is, like, I'm kind of interested in whatever they do. I just hope they pull it off properly. It's a, I know that's a cop-out answer, but that's really the best answer. As long as they do it well, I'm going to be right. excited to play it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, me too. I, I've liked both of the Spider-Man games so far a whole lot. They're very good. Uh, my hope is that as much as you don't like Arkham Knight, um, how, what's your what's, I mean, Arkham City, what's your feelings on Arkham Knight? It's fine. Better or worse than City for you? Oh, better. City sucks. Uh, City's a great game, but that's okay. No, it's not. <laughs> So my hope is I even still, I love Spider-Man. Definitely don't mean this in anything other than my preference. I still think that Arkham Knight is a better game than Spider-Man 2018. I do. That's certainly (laughs) a thing you said. I'm really glad you have the opportunity to say it on a platform. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I do. I I think Second Son, from a gameplay standpoint, is a better game than Spider-Man 2018. But it really drops the ball in story. So at least Spider-Man has that going for it. Whatever you say, doc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever I say, man. <laughs> Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm just coming out with the hot ones today. Moving Very on hot. to the next thing. 
Surprising, very few Crystal Dynamics announced that the work on Marvel's Avengers would cease as of March 31st, 2023. Recently released, The Winter Soldier is the last bit of content coming out for the game. Credits will no longer be sold and remaining balance transferred to in-game items. The final update, releasing on March 31st, will contain the final balance updates. The game will still be available for multiplayer and single-player play. But otherwise, it has reached the Anthem Zone, as I will unfortunately call it. Uh, so we have a question in line with that one uh, from Rude Days 93 one of our patrons. He says, quick one, but with its development ending, where would you rank Marvel's Avengers on your most disappointing games list? No need for an exact number, but it could be like top five, top three, maybe your number one. Thoughts? So, Chris, you've actually played Marvel's Avengers. I will continue to say that I haven't. So I don't want to say it's a most disappointing game list for me because I think that's a little unfair. I can't really say that. What I can say for me is that there's a world in which I can imagine me being excited for a Marvel's Avengers game. And from the moment they showed this off, I had strong feelings that this was not going to be the one for me. And then every time they showed it, and then every time I watch people play it, that feeling only got refortified. So for me, it's not that it's a disappointing game because I was never excited for it. I'm disappointed that the type of game that they made for Marvel's Avengers didn't line up to make it work for me. But Chris, you actually played the game. Mm-hmm. So what are your what's your difference there? Is your opinion based more off of what you wish it was or is it based entirely off of what it actually was? I mean, both, and right? Was it highly disappointing? Because I don't think there's a bigger fumbling of the bag than Marvel's Avengers. Like, I, yeah. I don't know that it's possible to take that franchise and blow it as much as they did. Um, but also, the game's not fun. So it's like a two, two-pronged thing there. You fumbled the bag so badly, and then you made a boring game on top of it all. Well, that's what I would say. Arguably, they fumbled the bag by making a boring game. The reality is, is that whether or not I want a, an Avengers live service style game, if the game was fun, it would be successful. If it, if it was, okay. If it was more fun, it would be more successful. Let me say that. Because Anthem, also not successful enough. And I think Anthem's a fun game. But I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the market. If the game was fun in a broad sense, fun enough, it would have done well regardless of being a live service. So I think they dropped the bag by making a game that wasn't fun enough to pull people in and create strong enough word of mouth to continue to draw people in, which is exactly what happened to Anthem. Anthem is not a boring game necessarily, but it's not fun enough for word of mouth to overcome the negative press and some of the issues the game did have. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. I, it's, I'm just blown away. And honestly, them going to Embracer and clearly focusing their time on Tomb Raider and, you know, the Initiative's quadruple A perfect art game. I just, this was very clearly going to happen at some point. Yeah. Do you have a number that you view this? Like, you're clearly a huge Marvel fan, much bigger than I. Uh, do you have a spot where you'd feel like, is this somewhere in your top 10, top 5, top 3? It, to answer it depends the on more directly? what category, because I, I'm not disappointed at all, because much like a game that comes out tomorrow as of recording, 
I'm not shocked at all that it sucks because I yeah. watched gameplay and was like, this looks like it sucks in terms yeah. of most disappointing, given the name of the franchise this is like a top one. An Avengers game should have been incredible. <laughs> like a single player Avengers game is good. Is, is a, a dream come true. If, it, but it's, that's I mean, not, it's what not we too got. far from like ultimate Alliance, right? Yeah, but that's not even the same. Like, a beat em up where I can go into missions as Cap or I can go into missions as Iron Man and there's a good story. You know, the Guardians of the Galaxy, but Avengers, incredible. Game of the Year quality stuff. Uh, a mediocre live service with mediocre gameplay and a mediocre story and a mediocre endgame. That's not great. See, this is where you lead me into a thing. Avengers as a Guardians of the Galaxy type game. Here's where I think this gets interesting. Even Guardians of the Galaxy had some people complaining that you could only play as uh, Star-Lord. Right. And I can kind of see why, right? Star-Lord is in many ways one of the the head pieces of it, but I can understand why people wanted to play as more than that person, more than one character, but I could also see why the developers are like we don't want to have to create a battle system that will be trifurcated quadra you know quadric whatever the word would be for splitting it four ways five ways six ways the point being you create a need to if you make an avengers game that's single player right like that with a campaign and a story how are you breaking up missions and ensuring that the gameplay is good enough to meet that same quality as okay gardens of the galaxy made sure that we made a pretty good combat system for Peter Quill. And that's it. And mm-hmm. then you can use the other people to help you combo and whatnot, but we didn't have to flesh their, their combat systems out past AI routines and, and, and how you interact with them. Like, I think that arguably Guardians probably would have been a worse game if it was the same game. And the only difference was that you could switch between all characters at any time. I think it would have been a worse game. 100%. Because less... And I think the same may be true of Avengers. Like, what happens when they're trying to make an Avengers game where you would expect to play as all characters, but then they have to try and make individualized combat systems that are vastly different from each other by nature of the characters? How's that work? Is that just... Yeah, it's less focused, and it's all probably... The worse for worse. Is that why Marvel's Avengers, the game we got, is actually even bad? Is because it's too hard to, like Destiny, right? You can say like you have hero, you have the uh, you have warlocks, hunters, and you have titans, but in reality, they're all normal humanoids that can all slightly fly and jump and float in space and shoot guns. Yeah. So even though they seem very different, and even when you go into your subclasses, right? Oh, well, this one shoots uh, arc, this one shoots fire. It's still doing it within the same interactions. The problem is, is that a character like Hawkeye would need to be a first-person experience or a third-person over-the-shooter experience probably to be fun. But then Iron Man, how does Iron Man control in comparison to that? How does... Thor control in comparison to that? How does Hulk control in comparison to that? And how different are each one of these? And then you're having to create this many individualized things. Maybe an Avengers game is just inherently impossible to do in that type of genre. Because, like, what would you call Midnight Suns? 
is it in many ways the Avengers because all the Avengers are in it? I mean, you got all the same cast of characters. You got it's not no. Well, you don't, but you got some of them. I mean, it's easier because the gameplay is card battling or not card battling, but so you don't have to give you know triangle has to do four different things. But so I, I mean, yeah, Midnight Suns is a better way. So what you're saying is it just should have been a Marvel Avengers tactics. And I'd I'd have played yes. that. So. Yeah. I would be but very that down. game doesn't have triple A appeal in the same sense of uh you know action yeah, game. But it, I don't think that matters because it says Marvel's Avengers on it. I mean you're well <laughs> maybe, but then shouldn't Midnight Suns also by means of just having Marvel involved in it be selling like fucking hotcakes? And I'm not saying it's not. I, I genuinely don't know. I don't know how well Midnight Suns did. Well, I don't think it has anything to do with Midnight Suns. Uh, where's the Midnight Suns movie? I mean, that's a fair point. Even though it's Marvel, and even though you recognize some of the heroes within it, it's not Avengers. Right. Especially this came out closer to Infinity War and Endgame than the uh, Midnight Suns did. So it would have been as close as possible. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm sure that this game sold to people thinking they were getting a retelling of the MCU movies. Yeah, hey, Anthem sold really well too, interestingly enough, but it didn't continue to make money in the right way. And I guess that's mm-hmm. probably what happened here. I wouldn't be surprised if this game sold enough copies, but because of the way it was developed with all this monetization in mind, not enough people stuck around to play it and monetize, and therefore the game became unprofitable as they continued to try and make new content for the game. That's a really good question because Anthem sold like 4 million copies, which is quite a bit. But when you're trying to be a live service game, it's a little different. Hmm. I think Chris is looking that up. So for now, I'm going to move on to the next piece. Uh, The Last of Us Part 1 sales have seemingly received a significant bump after the release of the excellent, according to Chris, because I didn't write this news and I haven't watched the show, TV show. The show itself has surpassed 10 million viewers in two days after the first episode dropped. And again, uh, we now have the stats for the second episode. They grew by 22% of viewership, uh, if I remember correctly. So big jump. Uh, The game received a bump of 238%. The Part one, uh, and then the original remastered title has gone up by three hundred and twenty-two percent. While these are new, uh, these are UK numbers exclusively. It's a great indicator of how the game is doing overall. Likely, the American sales are also quite up, as well as the rest of the world. Um, and to this, uh, I think Chris and I were both pretty fair in saying that we understood why Part One was coming, uh, outside of the ability to handle some of the um, uh, accessibility options. We understood that it was for this as well. Um, so this is not overly surprising, even though I feel like some people thought it was. So the bigger curiosity I have is if we're going to see this translate to The Last of Us Part 2 sales, also increasing, mass- increasing massively. And I think I saw that they did. I did see that they increased... I mean, this when this news came out, the first thing I thought of was all those people going, "Oh, Sony's so out of touch. Why would they ever do this? They're wasting time." Dog, <laughs> come on, use your use your head. This was going to be the best. This was going to be an incredible selling game after the show is good. I'm going to show. See, us my curiosity great, so. here 
is season two and three, where they've talked about handling the events of the second game. Is that going to further increase specifically part two? It'd be interesting to see how these numbers shake out. But yeah, this is not surprising at all. Um, and if anything, this probably makes Sony want to try and make as quality of shows as possible for as many IP as possible so that these IP can be then iterated upon so i feel that this probably strengthens strongly sony's rumors of having a twisted metal game in development and i guarantee you it will come out very close if not on the same date as the twisted metal show we'll see do you think they're ever going to get bold with this stuff bold in what way like do you think we get a quantum break type thing where oh, it's dude. you play like th- like think about it i th- i think this would be cool i already know you're not gonna like it but i think it would be cool of you play six hours of their next game and then it tells you watch watch episode one of the show and then you turn and then you turn it off i would not hate that at all actually because that's no exactly well, you would hate it because is. you'd have to wait <laughs> I'm talking about oh, you, the HBO okay, show yeah. comes out, and you after, and then you play the first hour. The HBO comes out, goes on with the the, the story. Then you play the yeah. next the next bit, and then the next episode comes out. That's the bold version of Quantum Break because I think Quantum Break is really great in that you play so much of the game and then it stops and says you're going to watch this. And it's not even optional. It's like, you're going to watch this. This is the next thing. Right. Make a decision. The decision's going to slightly alter which scenes we're going to show in the show. And then we're going to go on about our business. You'll keep playing. And But the difference is, is all those episodes were done, edited, recorded, and put on the disc and or available to download all together at once on PC so that you could continuously play it and control your own destiny to a degree. And I think the big difference for... This is, I think it'd be a lot bigger and bolder of a move to say, hey, play the game for this many hours, and then, hey, we're going to have to watch a, an hour episode, and then we'll let you play this section of the game for so many more hours, but if you do it quickly, you'll have to wait another week until the next episode comes out. That's real fucking ballsy. I think that would be awesome. I think it would be really interesting, and if, if there was ever a time for it, probably be right now when Quantum Break is getting a lot of odd love on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Which is good. Quantum Break's a great game. You should absolutely try it if you can catch it. It goes on sale often. Uh, Savoy Prime recently bought it <laughs> because of... Uh, he was asking if I, if you know I was talking about it being good, and then he caught it on sale. So good timing for everything. Uh, but yeah, I think... This is cool. Not surprised to see. I'm more curious to see how less massive series than The Last of Us fare in increasing their game sales. Like, what does Twisted Metal look like? What does Horizon's sales benefits to the game look like? What does the God of War series sales of the game look like? What does Gran Turismo's bump to the sales look like? I think the most interesting one there is Twisted Metal. It's probably the smallest IP of them all at least in modern standards, you know? So, and it's also the least story driven in a typical way, right? Yeah. If you look at what they're doing with this stuff, I think it's very clear which projects they believe in and which projects are risks for them. Last of Us on How HBO. So? Think about it. Sure. Twisted Metal is So you're Peacock. saying where they're coming out of. Yeah. Yeah. Twisted Metal is a Peacock show. 
How how did Paramount Plus do for Halo? You know what I mean? Like, I think that's how you can tell if you look at we're doing The Last of Us with HBO. I knew that show was going to be sick. Like, it, it, just knowing that pedigree. But you go to me and you're like, you want to watch Twisted Metal on Peacock? And I go, no, I don't. <laughs> you know, and I, there's no way that that show is going to be as big. But then you look at the Gran Turismo movie, will probably be decently sized. That's a pretty big thing. But God of War on Amazon. That's not HBO. And they've managed to blow it with Lord of the Rings and the Wheel of Time, which is super depressing. So does Amazon, does Sony believe in a, in a God of War show? I don't know. I just think if you look at the I would argue they do. I, I, I get where you're coming from, but I think Amazon's also got a lot of wins in that regard. I think that they have uh, a lot of people are really loving um, the, uh, what is it? Invincible show, which is animated. Whoa. It's a little different. They're liking the boys. The boys is huge. So, I mean, there's sure. plenty of success stories, but you're also right that there's plenty of, um, at, at the very least, controversial ones. Like, I don't know that across the board, uh, <laughs> in the Mark Hamill quote, where it doesn't matter if it's good, it matters if it makes money. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's if true. we're coming into that, it doesn't matter. I, I think Rings of Power made money. If I were to, I mean, it looks like it did pretty well. So regardless of whether it's a quality show, what Sony's probably asking themselves is, yes, they want it to be as close to quality as possible, but what they're really concerned about is its ability to draw eyes and then sell games. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know. If, I get your point. And Peacock and the type of budget that those uh, streaming platforms would put behind the episodes definitely comes into play. Peacock is probably going to put less behind than Amazon. Amazon's probably putting a little less behind than HBO, even though we've seen Amazon put some money behind shows because Rings of Power mm-hmm. is very expensive. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think you could look at that and say God of War is probably a pretty... They probably consider that to be a, a big win. Where's Where's Horizon coming? Is that Netflix? Supposedly. Yeah. Netflix is also known for some pretty good... Netflix is known to also be hit or miss, though, right? It's like really good stuff, really bad stuff, and then some really good stuff that doesn't draw enough attention and gets canceled. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know how that's going to work out. Netflix, I think, has a shotgun approach. Where HBO is directed, this is good. Um, so I don't know. It's it's whatever. I just I just I don't I don't believe in Twisted Metal the way I did in The Last of Us, and I was proven right. The Last of Us is incredible, and it adds to the games. So, we'll oh, I agree with you in the sense that there's zero way that Twisted Metal will be as quality of a show. Mm-hmm. No, I don't necessarily know that it needs to be, right? That's the, the thing about it is Twisted Metal as an IP has never been as as cinematically story driven. It's got stories and the stories are actually interesting in some time, but it's more like mini Twilight Zone episode style things, right? Where you go through, you follow one character and then see their wish come true whenever they win. And then you go to a new character, do the events again, and you see how th- what they want and how Calypso twists that. It's... It's not the same type of thing. It's more like ideas and lore. So I don't know what to expect from the show, if I'm being honest. I think the biggest upside is it's not going to be following any game directly. It's going to be more like the concepts of Twisted Metal. So I'd I'd say 
that while HBO is clearly the more exciting as a broad term appeal thing, my personal excitement for Twisted Metal is higher because it's a uh, I know that it's not going to be something I've already experienced. You know what I mean? Yes and no. I mean, because I think the thing is, and maybe you're just not realizing, but the Twisted Metal show is following one character. So you're not even getting like different perspectives. You're getting Anthony Mackie's perspective. Which I also curious if the show does well, will they, will they change throughout seasons where you see characters? It'd be curious to see how they go about it. But yeah, I know right now they're following one character, but you're still going to see it's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's themes that they're instead they're looking at themes, whereas they're going to try and adapt the ideas of the multiple twisted metal games where you see these same characters do the same thing in a microcosm universe of its own, instead of being a one-to-one adaptation or very close, like what the last of us is doing. And both are exciting for different reasons, but yeah, trust me, I'm, I'm super curious about twisted metal because of the type of, game that it is it is mm-hmm. horizon is easy to adapt into a game i mean to a to a show excuse me to a show god of war pretty easy to adapt into a show i don't see where twisted metal is obvious to adapt into a show so i'm interested in seeing yeah. that challenge be overcome yeah i mean i guess my one pushback on what you were saying is that i think i think it was i think it is significantly more imperative that twisted metal is good than last of us because Twisted Metal, they're basically relaunching a franchise with this TV show. You can't write off the name The Last of Us. So if the show sucks, that game's not going to sell. The Last of Us was always going to be a best-selling game. Now it's a best-selling Already multimedia was. franchise. Yeah. Twisted yeah. Metal is starting from zero, so that they have to nail that show. In my mm-hmm. opinion. Who knows? They have to nail one of them. Yeah. But that shows will fail if it's not good, I think, because you're not coasting on The Last of Us and Pedro Pascal. You know, you're trading Pedro Pascal for Falcon. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get you. I don't know. And, and odd uh, other choices, not in a bad way, just odd. Like, Will Arnett is uh, Sweet Tooth. I think that's really interesting. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm willing to give it a try, and I like Will Arnett. But that's why I, I've been trying to figure out what is the tone of that show? Is it it's, super it serious? Comedy. Or is it more like black comedy? Because I think black comedy could work really well for that. Yeah, I agree. And allow them some levity. And I think the upside is is that it allows it room to breathe outside of all these super serious shows. Because God of War is going to be super serious. The Last of Us is super serious. Horizon will be super serious. It's going to be kind of nice to have a show that can be... That can tell a story and do so in a way where it's moving forward in a real conducive way but it's doing so with a different tone it's able to be goofy to a degree or dark but in a funny way so i don't know it's a wild card but i do agree uh, about it probably needs to be successful and it existing in a different type of show probably helps its chances of being successful because i think if you try to make twisted metal an ultra serious show like the last of us you would fail miserably and then the game would just be doomed alongside it to some degree. I mean, the game can always do good separate of the show, but the idea here is that they do good together, and Sony will be looking at that. And unless the game just does incredible separate of the show, then the game probably won't... The series will probably be dead for a while again, if not forever. Probably forever at that point. It'll be interesting to see. I hope it's good. 
Yeah, part of me wonders, would Sony be ballsy enough to just do a Twisted Metal PS3 port? Like a remaster? Could it be cheaper? And then you could put the show out and be like, buy the remaster of Twisted Metal PS3 for $40? What would that look like? It would certainly be interesting. I don't know. You know, um, the... uh, the rumored studio that was at one point working on it before it went over to Fire Sprite. Do you remember Lucid Games who did uh, I do. Destruction All-Stars? They were rumored to be working on it, and then they got moved off. Did you see that Lucid is uh, co-developing Sea of Thieves now? I did not. That's kind of cool. Crazy, right? It goes to show you how much of a failure Destruction All-Stars must have been, unfortunately. <laughs> but That was a definitely yeah. an interesting decision to put that game out. Yeah, it was. And I wish I would have liked it more, but that's okay. All Me right, too. we got uh next piece of news here. The next Sonic game might do away with the long-held boost mechanic that has remained a somewhat controversial uh, aspect of the series over the past decade plus. Frontiers producer Morio Kishimoto had this to say, quote, when I started working on this game, I was very worried about whether Boost was possible or not and decided to adopt it. I'm still thinking that for the next game, I would like to try a Sonic game without Boost. My favorite giant bosses are the first and second ones. He then went on to say, of course, we understand the benefits of Boost. I will both coexist and experiment with Boost and Spin Dash, so don't worry. However, I also have a desire to try a level design without Boost, like the Adventure Series. After all, the Adventure Series is legendary, end quote. Uh, This is good news for longtime Sonic fans who have been wanting to see the game move away from the Boost, slowly but surely. Um, So yeah, this is exciting. It'll be interesting to see how they take the formula from Frontiers, which did include the boost and relied on it to some fairly heavy degree, and take it away in favor of momentum-based platforming. Because I still think it'll be a relatively big change to the Frontiers formula. So I'm excited about that. And who knows, maybe we're going to eventually get that uh, Sonic Adventure 3 that they have talked about wanting to eventually make if they can find the right formula uh chris i know is not a big sonic fan so i don't think he has much to say about that do you chris no <laughs> it's gonna make for great discussion during our final thing <laughs> i guess now is as good as time as any before we get into um uh, the next segment um but we're going to be doing the game of the year uh, this episode, as well as a few other categories that we just thought were fun. Originally, I'd intended to do something a lot bigger, uh, but due to the situations going on in my life, my stepfather's passing, how that's impacted my family, I've uh, I've been very busy. I've re- I had to replumb my mother's entire house <laughs> um, uh, where my stepfather lived because it was cold when all that happened, and the Literally all the pipes are busted. So I've been very pulled out. And instead of continuing to delay it, Chris and I just kind of, I'd say Chris allowed me the freedom to determine how he wanted to go about this. And I eventually (laughs) had to concede that I was not going to be able to do it to the scale and scope that I'd hoped. I wanted to be able to do something where we gave outreach and let you decide some stuff, uh, do some fun different categories that were voted on and pull all that together into one big episode. But since we can't, instead we're going to do a microcosm of that and just have an episode where we talk about some of our favorite games of last year and kind of do a pseudo awards before giving uh, our individual personal game of the years. Uh, So 
Before we get into that, though, uh, first thing up is Chris has a, uh, a an update on our Metacritic, Metacritic draft, unfortunately. Yeah, Brett's taking a second L already, and uh, Forspoken is not doing well on review. It's got a 68, which brings his score to a 34. Yep. Uh, so that's a zero and 68 <laughs> <laughs> averaged out. I have a 91. I hold out hope. Yeah, you keep going, Chris. You just wait. You're going to get a few <laughs> zeros in there. Uh, and then it's going to come crashing down. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Then we can both listen to Miley Cyrus's The Climb as we wait the rest of the year to see if the rest of our games land. <laughs> but I would like to point out that Review codes were sent out very sparsely, which is definitely his own point of weird contention. But right now, it's likely that the Metacritic score will change. Could be for the worse, could be for the better, as more people review it in the coming week, uh, as more people rush to review it probably in the coming week. Um, So we'll see. We'll see, Chris. Maybe that'll jump up a little bit. You feel free to hold out hope, but it's probably going to go Maybe, down. Maybe it'll also dive down. My average will be a 30. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brett. Oh, I'll be I have, so hurt. That would be bad for you. So, while we're on the topic of the Metacritic draft, I thought about something today. We didn't establish this rule, but I feel like it must be established now. And you can agree or disagree. You have to fill your bench. Did we the not benches- already have our bench filled? No, because the bench is adding oh, yeah, games our bench, from the year. Our bench became yeah, our bench yes. became the rest of ours. So, but okay, you I must thought we fill decided we were going to have games. a bench. No, but I got you. We did not. No, that's right. We said that we could add games throughout the year. Okay, right. But I'm just, I just have to add it by the end of the year. Yes, but before they're reviewed. But you still have to call the right game now. before I do. I'm not saying yeah, that, but sure. I was thinking about it today. It's like, what if I pick three and Brett, Brett doesn't pick any, and then Brett has an advantage? So that's the deal. We must fill the bench. <laughs> no, that's a fair point. Fair point. All right. Speaking well, of filling with the that bench, in mind, I, I think, Brett, I think ooh, you got one I'm going to take my next game. And that is? I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried. I'm not, I'm not going to say yet. Actually... I'll say it, but I'm not 100% taking it. I'm a little iffy, but I think I might be taking SteamWorld Build. That was just announced today. Okay, fair enough. The SteamWorld games are always solid. I would be very surprised if it, if it was a negative for your thing. It just comes down to how it balances out with the rest of yours, you know? Yeah, exactly. So let's see. On our list so far, some of the only games I'd be curious about would be like Atomic Heart, but I've already grabbed that one up and put it on mine. You did. So, uh, yeah, we'll definitely see. I'm a little worried about Assassin's Creed Mirage missing this year uh, oh, just due okay. to everything going on at Ubisoft. We'll see. I could still see them trying to push it out as the uh, holiday game for Ubisoft. Mir- Mir- Mirage and Sons of the Forest are very iffy for me on your list. But that's the thing. My list, there's, I could see like three or four of these getting pushed out. So we're we're both in very weird. I don't know if the Wolf Among Us two is going to hit this year. I hope it I, does for my own that's, benefit. That's of my enjoyment. one that I'm worried about. That's the one I'm most worried about. And I only think Final Fantasy seven might get pushed because that'll be two Final Fantasy games in a year. But I don't know that they care. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I'm curious as to what else I think of yours might get pushed, but we'll cross that bridge whenever it kind of comes to it. As it stands right now, that's where we are. But we have a question. 
that is in regards to Forspoken, since that was the game I took a very risky bet on. And I knew it when I said it, but I hoped, my hope was that it would at least land in the 80. Uh, <laughs> and I'm very far from that. <laughs> that was months ago at this wow. point. So now that we're there, my hope is that it'll creep up into the 70s, even if it's 70, because it'll be better than anything, you know, better than nothing. Uh, I got close. It was 69 for a brief moment this morning, and then it knocked down a point. Gut check, Brett. Is it going to go up or down by next week? I think it will go up by. I think it'll it'll hit sixty nine again. All That's right, my nice. actual gut feeling. My hope is that it hits at least seventy. I would not be surprised by a sixty five. I wouldn't either. You're ex- you're, ex- yeah. You're hyped for more reviews to come out. I'm looking at it and I'm like, these people just got burned by Square Enix and the game sucks. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. I don't know if that's a recipe. That's the thing. Like you took two bold games for Spoken and Hogwarts Legacy. I think were very bold decisions to take. No, I agree. I'm very. I, I do not think. I think Hogwarts Legacy could be a ten, and I don't think it's going to review well. So just because of the climate around it. No, I agree. Exactly. It's, a, it's a it's a risky game, but that's okay. I will Maybe. have to hope that everyone just. Re- I hope that we don't get a Kotaku PS5 review for Hogwarts Legacy. (laughs) The system's great, but if no one can afford it, then it's a piece of shit. (laughs) Do you think the Kotaku review... What do you think the Kotaku review talks about more? Harry Potter the game or Kanye West and J.K. Rowling? Mm. With Kotaku, it's a dice roll. Depends on who reviews it. You want to make a bet (laughs) on it? You want to bet no. on which one gets talked about? Chris, Chris, we've made enough bets this year. I'm done. I don't even remember all the bets. I'm in a Metacritic draft. I'm in this trophy competition. There's enough going on, okay? There's no stakes on the trophy competition other than I already a look, trophy. Hogwarts, Hogwarts already got pushed back out of 2022, and I had to buy you Gotham Knights as a result. Do you not remember <laughs> this? We didn't let's say just, that on the show, let's though. Let's chill. True. Yes, we did. And then, <laughs> Did we? Oh, oh, okay. I, didn't, I didn't tell you that. I, I didn't tell anybody else I bought you Gotham Knights because of it, but the bet of Hogwarts was on an episode. And it whenever you reminded episode, me yes. of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I told you, I'm a man of my word. I have you very staunch opinions, but I will do what I say I will do. So here we are. Uh, the question at hand, uh, Rude Days 93, one of our patrons, says, so we have had communities takes discussions where the majority agreed that reviews aren't the end-all be-all for a game, but... With games like Cyberpunk and Callisto Protocol recently holding review codes or delaying them till the last day and then later reviewing average or poorly, and then Forspoken now joining them, in these cases, will you be taking a look at review scores more seriously than you normally would? And my answer, just to get out of the way, is a resounding no. Chris, what's your gut punch reason? Then we can kind of expound on why. My gut punch is still no. That you wouldn't, because I mean, we're talking about a game you already know you are interested in. That's I think that comes into your answer here. But if we look at Cyberpunk and Callisto games, you were interested in, um, as whether or not you feel like in those cases you should look at review scores more seriously. You don't think it would impact you? Well, I think my overall thesis on this is what I just do now. If I'm excited for a game based on the trailers, I'm gonna buy it. I don't care what the reviews say. Unless Same. the reviews are really bad. 
But that's the thing. That's what it's kind of where I go down to. Like, what's what's for you? Since we talked about reviews not mattering to a degree, to a strong degree, what type of review and to what frequency does it have to be before you really start to be like, okay, maybe I do have to change my day one or whatever it is, you know, purchase. If I if I hadn't pre-ordered Callisto the way I did. I don't know that I would have bought it. I probably would have let you buy it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it landed like, at a 70, right? right? So that's not even that negative of reviews. So no. that's what I'm curious. Like, what is your marker for bad enough to make you change your mind? Honestly, there's not a ton. It would just be like uh, reviews. Uh, and I think this is why reviews reviews do matter. I just don't think they matter to us and to the majority of gamers, right? And a lot of people who follow the thing, it's like, yeah, IGN's review. IG, if IGN and let's say the Metacritic for Forspoken was an 80 or an 86, you know, something along mm-hmm. those lines, sure. I might be, I might, I would have gone from not interested to, yeah, I'll play that. But a 68, when I wasn't interested anyway, was like, yeah, I ain't playing that shit. If Hogwarts comes out with a 50 on Metacritic, I'm still playing it. It's it's Harry Potter. <laughs> but, you know. See, that's, and that comes down into the thing. I guess where I would clarify uh, Rude Days is I would say that whenever we had that conversation, yeah, I would say that reviews aren't the end-all be-all. And I still think that's true. And I agree with Chris that reviews are important. But here's the difference. I think Metacritic reviews specifically aren't the end-all, be-all. Reviews are important. Yeah, Scores are so hard to make sense of and to really quantify in a real way that it muddies the waters of the system. We've talked about this before, but that doesn't mean that I think reviews wholesale are bad. It means that I think scored reviews, which is what Metacritic specifically lives off of and everything around games that do well or bad on Metacritic is around the score, which is an average of all the different scores. I think that's an issue. And my go-to example for this lately has been Biomutant. And it's what I used earlier when I talked about Forspoken. I could end up hating Forspoken. I could end up being iffy on it and being like, I, I played it and it was okay. I could end up loving it. I don't know. But what I can tell you is that Biomutant, a game that I adore in spite of plenty of issues, uh, is at a 64. But I would recommend Biomutant in a heartbeat to anyone, pretty much. Uh, definitely if it, you know, with it being free right now on PS Plus, as it is, if you're at the uh, extra tier or whatever it's called. And with that in mind, I mean, like if you can spend 40 bucks on that game, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah. And, and with all that in mind, I just think there's plenty of reason to look and say that this matters. But it's not going to change my opinion. I'm still getting Forspoken, and I'm still willing to get burned by Forspoken because I played the demo. I was already loosely interested and curious, and then I played the demo, and the gameplay was enough to push me over the edge. That's all I need, but some people may not be. So for some people, maybe you do need that budge. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. It's one of those things where like, I Fire Emblem Three Houses is probably one of my favorite games of all time. It's up there. I I wasn't gonna play Fire Emblem in, Engage, but the fact that people I trust, like Skill Up and other people that I follow, were like, "This game fucking rocks!" I'm like, "Hell yeah, I'm playing! I'm gonna buy Fire Emblem!" Like, I'll play that. And you know game. what I love about it? Those mm. are examples of non-scored reviewers. Yeah, 
exactly. You know, and I think the weight of that system's better because you know saying, "Hey, the seventy dollars game is a seven out of ten. What does that mean? Does that mean I should not buy it, or does it mean I should buy it because I might enjoy it, but it has issues? What's a lot better is to go, "Hey, the seventy dollars game is a game I would suggest you to buy. I would suggest you to rent. I would suggest you." to wait for a deep sale. And that's that's still something that chooses to put some kind of qualifier on it. My favorite reviewers, if I'm being honest, are the reviews where they don't say whether you should do shit. They just talk about the game, what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it, what was good about it on the performance side, bad about it on the performance side, and that's it. They leave you to form your own opinion and come to your own devices. Those are my favorite reviews. But that requires a specific mm-hmm. person who's able to do those things, take that in, and then make a decision. Some people need a nudge, and I can understand that. And for some people, that score is a nudge. And for some people, the qualifier of buy is that, or rent. Because rent means that you should play it, but you shouldn't spend full you know, full dollar on it or you know, steep sale, wait for sale. That's a very different thing, you know? It is. So hope that answers your question. I do like when someone's like, hey, you should spend 40 bucks on this, Max. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I almost think there's more value in rating a game out of how many dollars out of its full retail price you think it is. Like, this game's a 70 out of $70. <laughs> this game is a 65 out of $70, you know? The only thing is, like, most people are not going to quabble over $5. You're not going to be like, well, I'm not going to buy it now until it's $5 off. Right. But I still think it makes a really interesting standpoint to go, maybe you do it by 20s. This is a $20 less game, $40 less game, $60 less game. Mm-hmm. Then you Completely go up to 70 agreed. or whatever. That'd be interesting. Uh, but all right, we're going to move on into rapid fire news, little pieces of news that we're probably not going to have as much to say on. Dead Space has an alternate ending and preloads for the remake begin on January 25th at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. There you go. Uh, The Dark Pictures Switchback VR, one of the 30 major games set to launch for the PlayStation VR 2 next month, has been delayed. While originally revealed as a launch title for the headset, it will now arrive a month later on March 16th, 2023. So if that impacts you, if that was one of the games you felt like was a have to play, then you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. Sorry for that. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's this VR game that PlayStation shared a video of called Kayak Sim, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and yeah. It, it, dude, it looks gorgeous. Okay. Spend a second to just look at gameplay. It looks incredible. Now, you could just get in a kayak, you can just get in a kayak and paddle through really interesting, um, like very pretty photorealistic environments. Or... You can throw shit to the fan and then do competitive kayak racing against other players. <laughs> competitive kayak is so sick. Through these really pretty and yeah, dude, it's it's actually pretty crazy. Like watching people like spike in the thing to try and turn on a dime so that they can make it through the next checkpoint. It was pretty cool to watch. I don't think that's for me, but if this game is the right price, I haven't seen yet what price it is. I may buy it as strictly a relaxer slash tech demo. Uh, you know. Um, tech show, whatever you want to call it, that shows yeah. what it can be. It can be a showpiece for PSVR 2 early on because if it looks anything like it did in 2D, 
It's going to be incredible in 3D. I mean, this is gorgeous. That out there. It looks super good. My wife was like, is that just a, is that like just a camera on something? I'm like, no, this is crazy. And then when we started seeing the competitive kayaking, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> That's yeah. what I want to see the most. I saw you tweet the words competitive kayaking and I was like, um, excuse me, what game is this? Yeah. That's it. Kayak sim. Because Hell everyone knows yeah. there's two types of kayakers. You can be a peaceful, serene kayaker, or you can go in hardcore balls to the wall kayak racing. Fucking shred. Wow, this looks crazy. And actually, here's the thing I can actually see me getting into competitive kayaking. So I might just buy the game and then just try competitive because that's good cardio, I bet. Just fucking. <laughs> Switching you know, the funniest part is I'm watching this trailer, and this is the only time I've ever been like, I should pre-order PSVR 2. <laughs> I did pre- pre-order PSVR 2, so we'll I see know. what happens. Hey, Chris, I'll tell you what my thoughts are on it before you go spending $600. Yeah, give me your thoughts. <laughs> we'll see. If I hate it, hate strong word. It's almost impossible to hate it. VR is novel enough that you're always going to be at least a little bit like, damn, that's cool. <laughs> that That's the problem Facts. with VR. Um, the real question is, I think VR more than most games is a lot harder to try and tell someone whether, whether you think they should spend the money on it or not. Yeah. I mean, it's something I'll buy eventually and I could buy it on launch for all I know. It's something I would do. So, but say knowing you, you could be like the next day, be like, I picked up a PSVR 2 today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly what happened. Dude, if you do, all I ask is that you play Firewall Ultra with me whenever it comes out, at least a little bit before you go sit on the headset so that you can really get an idea of the best PSVR shooter, at least so far. Okay. My continued hope is that we get a gun controller of some sort, but I just don't know how it's going to happen. I really want it because I'm telling you right now, having something that you can physically push into your shoulder and anchor and then aim with feels perfect in first and in VR. Anything less like having floating controllers that you're trying to pretend or line up, it doesn't feel right because there's no body contact. You don't have that solid through point. So we'll see. See we how see. that goes. Uh, let's see. We have question time before we get to the end of it. So we have two questions here that didn't fit in nicely anywhere else. So wrapping them up here, we have Jehudi MD, one of our patrons. He says, how would you rank Konami's classic games from Castlevania, Captain Tsubasa, Winning Eleven, Metagross Solid, Contra, Zone of the Enders, Silent Hill, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to Suikoden? Never played him. Never played that one himself. Um, he says mine are in that order, so he's already ordered them how he likes them. Now, Chris, do you have a clean order in which you can say these? Because I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. By nature of being a somewhat younger gamer, some of these I've just outright not played. Yeah, mine would be Metal Gear Solid, Castlevania, and that's my whole list. Oh, really? Okay. Mine would be Castlevania, Metagross Solid, pretty much tied. Those are fantastic games. Every, every one of them I've played. And I've not played every Castlevania, but Symphony of the Night was my first one, and I was like six. Fell in love. Great game. Uh, Metagross Solid also played the demo and then ended up playing the whole game. Great. Uh, I have played Contra, and I've 
played a little bit of Zone of the Enders because I haven't played enough of that. I'm going to put Silent Hill next because I really like Silent Hill. Um, Silent Hill 2 and 3, fantastic. Silent Hill 1 is also very good. It's just a little more dated. Um, then I'll put Contra. Then I'll put Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I do like those games. And I've not played enough of Zone of the Enders or Suikoden to really want to put those in an order. But I have a feeling I would like Zone of the Enders more than Suikoden from at least what I can tell so far. But hey, you know what, Chris? Suikoden 1 and okay. 2 <laughs> would be an easy way <laughs> for you to play these games. Am I misremembering well, that you put Suikoden 1 and 2 on your list? You did. <laughs> I did, 100%. I believe in it. So we get in one and two HD remaster, Gate Rune, and the Dune and the Unification Wars. Yes, I feel you. All right, well, <laughs> we move on to the the penultimate question, or the you know penultimate segment of the show. Josh Shoop asked the burning question: bestest dog in all of games, Chris. Who is your uh, bestest dog? dog? Meat. Dog meat. That's easy. I don't think that's that easy. But here's also why. I've told this story plenty of times. Dog meat was gone almost my entire Fallout 4 playthrough. He just glitched, disappeared, and then randomly right before... I I won't spoil the end of Fallout 4, I suppose, but randomly right before you decide to do the thing where you leave the Commonwealth, dog meat was just standing on a hill in the... (laughs) Commonwealth, <laughs> and I was like, "Where the fuck have you been?" He, like, I played the game for like five hours, and he disappeared in that five hours. And what pissed me off is I couldn't even get other companions because it said I had one, so it wouldn't let me have other people follow me because dog meat was registering as my companion. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, dog meat is—I I mean, I like the concept of him, but I'm going to throw this out there. Throw it. Bestest dog in all games. Is the dog that you can get in Fable Two? Yeah, you can teach it wrong. all sorts of tricks. You can throw a ball. It's fucking awesome. They have gameplay demon doors around it, where one of the demon doors wants to see something cute. So you take him your dog and have your dog do a bunch of tricks in front of him. He opens up. Fable Two is a interesting game in many ways, but I I love both the dog aspect of it and the demon doors are still quite good. Um, but I also want to give a shout out. To a dog from The Last of Us 2, one of the probably most gut punch moments of The Last of Us 2 is uh, you killing a dog for justifiable reasons as far as you're concerned. And then the game being like, now we're going to let you see from the perspective that this is actually a great dog. And it was just doing what it was trained to do. And you get to throw ball with this dog for as long as you want. And uh, I did that for a while. Nice. I, I did like that dog. Shout out to the to the wolf in Resident Evil 4 that you rescue at the beginning. And if you do, it comes back during the troll fight and helps you out. Also, good dog. Banging Technically ass dog. Technically a wolf. But good dog. Uh, dog meat felt like a simple answer, but I can't begrudge you. I can see most people agreeing with that. I did, to your point, Chris, when to dog meat point. was finally back, I felt overwhelmed with joy that my boy was there. Uh, there you go. That's what I like to hear. I was like, Absolutely. holy shit, there he is. You know? My guy. So I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> he still had everything I had him carrying, too. <laughs> Didn't need it anymore, but it was fun. All right, Chris, we're going to go into our Game of the Year segment. So the categories that we've come up with, 
our game of the year, which will be the last one that we end up doing, I would imagine. Best game of the year that I wish I either played more of or played at all from things that you heard, word around the word of mouth around it, or just initial feelings when playing it when you didn't get to play more of it. And then lastly, our favorite games of 2022 that did not release in 2022. So games <laughs> that took up large chunks of our year that didn't even have anything to do with this year as far as releases were gone. So Chris, which list of the uh, of the two buildups to game of the year would you like to start with? Do you want to start with uh, the games we played that were not from 2022? Sure, that works for me. All right. Well, I've got my list and you've got yours. So how about... We do one game each as we bounce through. So each list is five games that we wish we had, you know, five games for each one of them. I think the only one that really matters from a, you know, the, the one that at the top is going to be the game of the year. The rest of them are just um, ones. So, Chris, I've talked about plenty about games I've played from 20, from not 2022 and 2022, uh, mm-hmm. 22, but what are some of yours? What's your first one? Oh, my. I'll start with five. We'll do a count up, right? Don't want to give away the best game of 2022 that wasn't from 2022 yet. So my number five, and this is a technicality. I put it on this list because it came out on PC before 2022, I believe. And my number five best game of 2022, not from 2022, is Crusader Kings 3. Okay, yeah. That is a medieval family sim and it is extremely hardcore and i don't understand how to play it and it's fucking awesome (laughs) so what's a i guess i don't know what a family sim is is it like where you're running through and just trying to run the castle yes and you you so you have to get married have specific alliances so that your children when they take over have alliances with this family and then you marry those children into a different family to build alliances and you do it over and over again and you can go to war and you can build troops and you can manage how you like how each player does and you can do stuff like court people and set assassinations on people and it's insane and like i said i genuinely don't understand how to play the game but it is so (laughs) much fun well uh my buddy donovan uh, who played one of my games uh on this list for this um he was talking about how he got civ six and it was just so endearing, like hearing him talk about it, because we were talking about playing some more tribes of Midgard. And uh, he said, he was like, I'd like to soon. I've been obsessively playing Civ Six and doing nothing else Good. for like a week. And what Good. made me laugh is he, he further said, I even figured out remote play specifically so I could play it on the go. <laughs> this is a man <laughs> who is in love. And I understand because there was a time whenever I was really into Diablo 3 that I was like pained that the game was not on Vita with cross-save support. Because in my mind, I was like, this game could have been on Vita with cross-save support. I see no reason why this game cannot run on Vita (laughs) in just a lowered resolution. I mean, clearly it runs on Switch. So, but yeah, I can can fill that out. All right, well, my first game I'm going to throw mention to, and it's a close call because it was uh, a very late uh 2021 game uh and i think it was 2021 for the first uh platforms that came out on which was xbox and pc if i recall but 12 Ooh. minutes um the what is it daisy ridley and uh james mcavoy yeah and willem dafoe very willem dafoe. odd game but certainly it some choices. kind of clicked into those things that i oh yeah certainly some choices clearly a controversial game clearly 
uh, and I'm not surprised. I but wonder why. I kind of like that. I like that shock factor to a degree. But my favorite thing was actually playing it to figure out the actual story, but then also trying to platinum it because it's the it's the same thing that was kind of fun about trying to platinum Detroit Become Human, where it was this idea of seeing all the different permutations that you can do. But Detroit Become Human chooses to do that through you selecting different, if you want to say actions. I mean, it is, but it's, a, it's like different dialogue and moving a different direction and choosing to go to the left and to go through that gate rather than going to the right and running with everyone else, which is fun and it has its own thing. But what I liked about 12 Minutes is that you have a timer, 12 minutes, and you just interact with stuff in the game to figure out what you want to do. And I don't want to say too much because I don't want to give any of the puzzles away, but it's great being like, okay, I don't have a phone. Who might have a phone? Oh, my wife might have a phone. Where would her phone be? She doesn't have anything on her. So since she didn't have a phone, could she have left it in a coat pocket? Where would the coat be? Stuff like that is really fun. And then seeing how things can be interacted together, super fun. And that kind of point and click adventure style really made me love that game. It was just a unique experience that you don't get very often. And I, I do like Annapurna for that. They are at least known for giving interesting titles. Uh, what's your next one, Chris? So my next title is a game that we've talked about, so we do not need to spend any time on it. But my number four pick would be Bayonetta. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Surprising that that high up on your list, yet you still don't feel like playing Bayonetta 2 and 3 just because they're on a worse console. Yeah, when the Switch 2 comes out, maybe I'll play them. Yeah. Okay. Don't you mean the the, the 3D Switch? (laughs) The Switcheroo, number two. (laughs) (laughs) I would actually love if the follow-up to the Switch was called the the Switcheroo. That would would be the Switcher 2. What's your number four, buddy? I've never thought about this, but why did Nintendo not try to get Will Smith to do a switch commercial with his song. Am I, am I misremembering his song? Isn't that yep, his? He's got a song turn called it over switch. And hit it. Yep. <laughs> Ooh, turn it over and switch. Yeah, turn dude. it over and. Ooh, na, na, that na. is a commercial switch. making itself. Well, I would have to say, I guess they're pretty glad they didn't have Will Smith sponsoring them. <laughs> I don't Slap know. Her around the to world. be fair, he, yeah, but then they also had a game called Arms. That seems like an obvious ad placement. Yeah. Will Smith oh, is a go. DLC character for Arms. That would be Chris really brilliant stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. That would be good. The rematch of the Get century. Everybody as, uh, could. St- <laughs> that's a Fortnite crossover, though, I think, more than anything else. Maybe. It, it kind of makes me think of the Hitman. Um, Contracts that they did where were celebrity contracts like uh, what Barry, Gary Busey and stuff like that that you could go through and do, if I remember correctly, from Hitman. Um, it's kind of like that, but I would love it to be like if they were could if they could get both of them to come in and like kind of play around with it and be like, who wins? You decide and have it be like a campaign with each one of them and then have it where both of them are DLC characters for arms and then people play and they try and do stats <laughs> on how often each person won. Yeah, I would love that. People are doing like live streams. Keep my wife's name out your fucking and it's swinging. The- <laughs> I can see it'd be good. I'm into it. Nintendo, don't hey, feel free to contact me. Emails yeah, in the description. 
<laughs> you can find us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash <laughs> If you want to join all the other great people who have. Uh, real quick, while we're in this uh, in-between moment, take a second if you're listening and you enjoy the show to like and subscribe if you're on YouTube, if you like what we're putting out. If you're on a podcast service that allows you to rate and or review, consider doing those. It lets us know what you like about the show, what you don't. It gives other people your thoughts. And as always, don't do it because I told you do. Do it because you wanted to. There you go. Uh, we're going to go on to the next game for me. Um, you know I'm a big fan of racing games. Uh, this is who I am. Hot Wheels Unleashed gets the shout out. It was also a 2021 game. And I didn't realize that. I thought it was an early 22 game up until recently. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hot Wheels Unleashed. Great game. Talked plenty about it. It is a game gamer's game. It's all about gameplay. And it doesn't really worry about anything else. And I think seeing that in the track design and having developers almost undoubtedly create a game in which your whole point to be as good as the challenges ask you to be is to learn how to skip the track because they designed that into it is amazing. I like that kind of stuff. Chris, next game. All right. So my number three, best game of 2022, not from 2022, goes to the single... Worst gameplay experience I've ever had over a hundred hours, but one of the best games I've ever played in Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Hell yeah. Great game, great platinum. Doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it's a feature, Chris, not a bug. Yeah, no, I, I loved constantly being worried I was gonna lose a hundred hours of progress. Nice, but you know what never did I'm glad at one point in time I thought when you were getting two frames per second that you were just going to quit but you persevered I did I survived I'm so proud of you tell my story of the waste hit up Destiny Child because you're a survivor (laughs) Uh, my third game on my list is a game that is pretty topical right now actually is it just released on PlayStation Uh, and that is Monster Hunter Rise it was the reason um, or one of the reasons that I was able to justify picking up the Switch OLED, that alongside another game I'll talk about here in a little bit. But yes, I had a great time playing that, played a crap ton of it, both personally by myself and also online with a couple of friends. So good times, good times for all. It's a great game, not as good as World in my opinion. It's streamlined and easier probably because it was trying to be on a system that is at least intended to be a handheld to some degree. Um but that's okay. I still really enjoyed it for everything it was, and I think it worked better as a handheld game than World would. So that's my, what's your second game, Chris? All right. My number two game is a wonderful game, one of my proudest Platinums, uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. My man. Whoop. So proud of you. And also, yeah, that uh, makes sense. You fell in love with that game. You really did. I did fall in love with that game, yeah. Yeah, we had someone else who recently got got that platinum too. So, I mean... Join the club, baby. Starting with a hit, I'm telling you. So, (laughs) we'll see if I ever join that club. Probably not. My next game, Tribes of Midgard. Talked plenty about it. It's another one of those playing with multiple people. So, like a live service game, but also a survival game. Uh, Really interesting. I don't... If you haven't played it, there's a new season going on right now. I'm probably going to start playing it so I can get the PS4 Platinum. Unfortunately, that means I'll be playing the PS4 version. 
Actually, no, I don't have to. I can just play it on PS5 and then load up the PS4 version since it's server side. I yeah. got this. Don't worry about there it. There you go. Easy money. Easy but money. I got to get to, uh, I mean, kind of. I still got to get to max so, uh, you know, season rank. But that's okay. Yeah. I can do that. You can handle it. Yeah, great game. And I'm excited to play more of it. Hell yeah, brother. Chris, number one. Where are we at? So, my number one best game of 2022, not from 2022, goes to the comeback player of the year, the big turnaround for Arthur Morgan, Rockstar Games, and Red Dead Redemption 2. That's a good boy. <laughs> what a game. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> you. You. Fuck you. You, could, you, you could see the folly of your ways and admit that Red Dead Redemption 2 is a good game. What a goddamn video game. Masterpiece, <laughs> if I've ever played one. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I am a man of integrity. Yes. Yes, you are. You are nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing if not that. Yeah. All right. My number one game should be a surprise to absolutely no one. It took up hundreds of hours of my year, as did Tribes of Midgard, to be fair. Conan Exiles, baby. Oh, I was expecting RuneScape on the list. I have uh, RuneScape's amazing game, and I love it, but I'm not going to put it here. I never quit That's playing fair. the game, and it and I've been playing it forever. I didn't just discover it this year uh, oh, to any okay, degree, fair. nor did I do anything exceptional in it. I know that you didn't discover New Vegas this year, but point being. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, Conan Exiles is an excellent game. I have not played since I've gotten the Platinum because I wanted to be able to play God of War, Need for Speed, and all these other games I'm still working through. Um, but I have yet to quit playing for my per- paying for my personal server because I will be going back to that game. <laughs> and I'm so glad that the Lord Corgi and his friend are playing on the server. Anyone else who wants to hop in, I know that uh, John did and and hopped in, and we got to platinum together in there as well. I helped him do that. I wish he'd have played more of the game, but that's okay. Um, he opted for the quick platinum, as my friend Chris did. But Chris, there oh, is yeah, a bro. great game to play within that. And one of these days, you might just give it a try. No, I'm good. But we run into the problem. There's something about getting a platinum for a game that makes it really hard to go back and play again. I don't know the psychology behind it, but it's <laughs> like the platinum is the book close. So I'm so glad that I can have that with Tribes of Midgard since I have the option to get another platinum because I have that dopamine rush to be like, yeah, I could just play the game a bunch again, which I already loved, and have a reason to do it again. Um I get Unfortunately, that. I do not have that motivation with Conan Exiles unless they make a PS5 version, <laughs> in which I would gladly, gladly do it. All right, Chris, those were our favorite games of 2022 mm-hmm. that did not release in 2022, which means it's time to move on to... Go ahead. Before we go move ahead. on to the next one, can I add one more category that's just for myself? I don't think you need to add a game here. Sure. What is okay. it? Go ahead and give the category and the answer. This category is called the game I spent the most amount of time with in 2022 that I never want to play, hear about, or talk about again. And that game goes to Destiny 2. (laughs) That's a fair point, actually. (laughs) I'm going to go as far as to say that while it may be a never again, I do not want to play Destiny 2 for at least two years. (laughs) I will will gladly play Destiny 3. but I, I may flop on that, but I really doubt it. We'll see yeah, no if thanks. Lightfall manages to pull me back in. Not 
if I, if I play anything, it'll be Destiny One for that platinum, baby. Because I'm close <laughs> and I need it, and I'm mad. Grandmaster Strikes, some of the best gameplay experiences I've had in my life. That was so much fun. Never playing that much Destiny again. <laughs> Never. Yeah. But highly recommended for someone else. Well, here's the thing, right? I might play Destiny 2 again if what uh, Sean was saying about being able to, if they're doing away with power ratings to where you can just log in at the beginning of a season and start doing Grandmasters right away. Mm-hmm. Dude, they, they I would do. have a blast doing that. Yeah. So. Uh, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I still wouldn't do it a lot. I've played enough Destiny. I would do it occasionally with friends for fun because Destiny can be a good social game. I agree with that. Kind of like Apex. That entire game of Apex I played with you was like playing was the secondary objective. And the first objective was trying to figure out what games for you to put on the Xbox that you were wanting to give Sadie. <laughs> exactly. It was. I, that's why I love multiplayer. It's just I get to sit and talk with my friends. That's good shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Most of the time playing Conan Exiles and Tribes of Midgard was like half playing the game and half talking about the game and half bullshitting and just catching up with people, which is fun. Yeah, it can be absolutely. very good. But that brings us to games that we wish we'd played or played more of in 2022. Chris, what is your first, technically fifth game? Ooh. So my number five game on this list is a game that I fully intend to go back to at some point. But I did not play enough in 2022, and that is Tactics Ogre Reborn. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yep. My Great fifth game, game is going to go to The Quarry. Oof, that I was on my list. I see how it can be excellent mm-hmm. or potentially excellent. I didn't get to play enough for it to sink its teeth into me, but I don't want that to be my full value judgment on the game. I think there could be something special there. I am hoping to get back to it soon. This year is not going to be kind to that. There's too many games coming already, <laughs> and I'm already behind. I've not even played Crisis Core yet. Oh, boy. Which should. Actually, Crisis Core needs to be on this list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm replacing a game. I'll do that in a second. Chris, what is All your right. fourth game? My number four game is also a game I fully intend to go back to, but got pushed out of the way by the far superior JRPG series in Persona, which is The Legend of Heroes Trails from Zero. That will mm. be coming soon. What about your weird short-lived, uh, I wouldn't say addiction, because that's not really fair, but your short-lived romance with the Tales of series? Um, I'll play them at some point. But uh, Tales of Arise fell off for me about halfway through. And then um, I like Tales, Tales of Grace's F, but... You know, I, I was very uh, JRPGs are hard because I feel like I have to play them with a walkthrough so I don't miss anything. And I don't, especially with Persona, where it's like you can completely fuck up your playthrough if you're not doing everything right. If you want, but to that's because you're going ending. into it trying to get a, yeah. If you just play no, the game, no, because I go into Persona 4 wanting to make sure I max out all the social links, which sure is a platinum thing. But that's the point of Persona. So I, I would rather have them focus my time in. But you're also 100% right. If I like a game, I'm not going to waste my time doing a third playthrough when I'd only have to do two. But I would probably would have finished Tales of Graces. But it's one of those things where when you try and play old 100-hour games, the new shiny 100-hour game takes its place. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes you end up playing hundreds of hours of Conan Exiles when there is a game like 
Assassin's Creed Valhalla that is over hundreds of hours or whatever other hundred plus hour game came out this year, which I know yeah. there was at least one. I didn't play it. I think I <laughs> dropped Tales Tales of Graces for a good game. <laughs> I was just messing with you. <laughs> Rough. Yeah, that was brutal. If me. you I said that about a rise, I might agree. <laughs> I would also say I, that. I, about I fell off of a rise before the end of the intro. That's how boring it was to me. I was, Ooh, I don't, I don't I was excited right, for but. that game. But yeah, I was like on a train with my mask on and some woman in a flowy dress came out. It was really odd. So great game. But hey, that's it's okay. It's where we are. Brett, what's your next game? All right, my next game on the list is I've decided I'm not going to include Crisis Core on here because while I do wish I'd played it, I played that game recently enough that I'm okay with leaving it off of this list. I do want to play the remake, but I can already tell you it's amazing. Um, I'm using this for games that I'm curious about and have strong thoughts that they are probably amazing, either due to word of mouth or my own intuition. So my next game on this list is going to go to Signalis. A game that by all accounts, I feel like I should like, and I think Chris is right. And I just don't think, I think I started at the wrong time. There was too much going on. There's still too much going on. And I don't think I'm in the the mindset to give it the attention that it deserves to be enjoyed correctly. I would agree. You should definitely play Signalis. Mm. All right, Chris, what is your third game? So my number three game is a game that I really liked, and that is Chained Echoes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You did talk good about that and then just kind of fell off of it. <laughs> exactly. Yep. You have, a, you have something about JRPGs, don't you? Yeah. I really want to like them, but I don't think I do, except for Persona. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the story of Chris Figgs. Yep. <laughs> really wanted to like JRPGs. Persona was the only one. Yeah. It's the only one I've ever finished, except the Pokemon's games. So. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I guess there's ARPGs, but I almost think of them in like a completely different light. Uh, But that's okay. Uh, My third game on the list is going to go to Tunic, a game I didn't play at all, but I think looks amazing. I was very Mm -hmm. excited for it when it was originally showed. It finally came. Had that weird Xbox exclusivity window, so I waited. And it came at a time when there's too much going on in both my personal life Mm -hmm. and the video game world. Uh, So I've yet to get to it, but I intend on keeping it close to the chest. You don't even have to pay for it. So I'm telling you, I'm I'm doing great. All right, Chris, game number two. My number two game is also a game that I started, really liked, and fell off, and that is Death's Door. Ah, see, that's a game that's on my list for this year. Mm-hmm. But it's not on this list yet. But it did look really good. So yep. Tunic came off my list, so I get that. Okay, I see. Yeah, I see mm-hmm. how it goes. Um, all right, my second game is going to go to Plague Tale Requiem. I oh, loved Innocence. I think it's a great game. I still really wanted to play Requiem before we talked about Game of the Year, but since I didn't and I cannot talk about it in the Game of the Year category, I have to give it its due here. I've heard mostly great things. I've heard a little bit of negative, but I've also heard a little bit of negative about the first game, and I adored the first game. So I'm willing to let this one prove itself to me and hope it 
wows me as much as the first game did. All right, Chris. Game number one. All right. Do you have any guesses? Do you want to guess? I think it might be the same as my number one, but I don't know because... I know it's not. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say Elden Ring is the, is the game that is my number one that I think might be on your list, but I, I don't know. Because it's like you went from loving Elden Ring to the point where when Chris came in March this year, he brought his PlayStation, and the mm-hmm. entire time he was here... Not the entire time, but the, any, if he was playing games here when we weren't streaming or, or you know playing Yu-Gi-Oh or whatever, he was getting through some Elden Ring. I was getting through some Elden Ring. So since it's not the top of your list, what changed? <laughs> and what is your top top game? So my number one game is a little indie game that came out of Sony this year called God of War Ragnarok. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, indie as in independently won a bunch of games, right? Game yes, of the year 100%. And stuff. Maybe throwing people off. All on its but own. No, I, I poke fun at God of War, and, and you know, for all of my joking, I didn't like Horizon. But I did like God of War, and I just didn't like the section I was on, which stopped me from continuing. Uh, I would like to get back to it. I want to see that story play out at the very least. So it is high on my list of please find time to download this <laughs> oh, okay i feel you all right well my number one i've already kind of given away it is elden ring um yep. i just feel conflicted about elden ring i don't have a positive or negative opinion on it but i have a i played it and it did not make me want to play it more opinion and that's almost as bad as a negative i suppose i wish that it clicked with me the way it did with everyone else I think somewhat like people are talking about with Forspoken, I think the the actual Forspoken issue and my issue with Elden Ring to a degree, open world fatigue, and I think Forspoken's going to have it worse because it's more of a tr- it's more of a typical style open world. But I don't I don't want that Final Fantasy VII remake in many ways, and I know I'm excited for Forspoken. Thankfully, it's because of its traversal through its open world. Final Fantasy XV had a terrible open world. It was super uninteresting, full of nothing. But the game itself and the story was okay. There was stuff I really liked about it, and that's why I went for the Platinum. So Elden Ring is... I'm not trying to compare it to XV, Final Fantasy XV, just to make that clear. (laughs) (laughs) That's more for Forspoken's aspect is... I hope that Forspoken at least has a better open world than 15. And then the traversal through it will inherently be better because of it being more streamlined uh, to do so. But where that comes into the thought process of Elden Ring is that Final Fantasy VII showed me that I don't really need Final Fantasy to be open world. And maybe a good Final Fantasy open world mainline game will switch me back to the opposite. But Final Fantasy VII Remake is fantastic. And it is a straight up linear JRPG style game. I mean, yeah, you can visit all these worlds, but it's not a big, huge unending world um, in the way that 15 is. And I think Elden Ring has that same thing to where recently replaying Bloodborne and getting the platinum and playing Demon Souls and, and working through it and then playing Elden Ring. It's like, I don't, I don't want a souls game. That's open world. That's just what I don't, I don't like that, and it's not enough to pull me to play it. I want 
<laughs> I want your normal, hey, tightly crafted narrative. I've said that enough this year, so I want to leave it at that. But I do hope I get back to Elden Ring and find a reason to love it that's different from my love of the rest of the Soulsborne series. But for now, it remains a game that I wish I had wanted to play more of. A little differently than the rest of the list. It's not a game that I played, loved, and wanted to play more of and ran away, but it's a game that eludes me and that I yeah. want to play more of to try and understand where it went wrong or to see if I can have my Red Dead Redemption 2 Chris moment <laughs> and turn around and say Elden Ring is a great game, which I can tell you I'm sure it is a great game, but I don't believe it's an amazing game from my experience. I believe it's an amazing game from everyone else's experience and the pedigree of the developer. All right. I respect that. Fred, it's about that time, huh? The last list we have now is our game of the year list. Chris, game Mm. number five. Ooh, um, can I do my honorable mentions quick? Because I have a couple of those. I wanted to give some shine Oh, I didn't even do honorable mentions. But did not make my list. Shoot them out. So I've got four. I would go with uh, TMNT Shredder's Revenge. Excellent game. Very fun. Um, Evil West. Uh, Evil West probably could have gone into my best games I wish I played more of in 2022 list, but it didn't. Um, got a little higher shine, I guess, I think, because it's close to my my list. Um, and then Inscription is up there. MLB 22 The Show. And Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Those are your honorable mentions. Yeah, I don't have any honorable mentions, and I'm okay with that. I am pleased... <laughs> I'm not pleased, but I'm willing to say that before we started recording, I told Chris that it was actually pretty hard for me to determine five games that I thought deserved Game of the Year as a title for them that I played this year. Not that came out this year. Important distinction. I did not play everything I wish I would have. So with games I did play, it I had to really think and dig deep about things that I would have thought not only did I love, but I thought deserved the moniker Game of the Year. And I realized that to some degree, there will be years at any given point in time where Game of the Year kind of naturally just falls to something because even though you loved a bunch of games, none of them struck you as that immediate, like, I know right now that I'm playing my Game of the Year that you can sometimes get. Like when I was playing Deathloop, I knew I was playing my Game of the Year for 2021. And I didn't get that feeling at any point this year. And I don't know if it was due to a, you know, life events going on or my attention span with games or being pulled off, playing hundreds of hours of games that didn't come out this year. I don't know. Uh, But the games I thought would have given me that feeling came just shy of it. (laughs) Um, So my fifth game to, I guess, switch it up from Chris and me alternating. My fifth game goes to God of War Ragnarok, which I'm sure there are people who are really surprised that it's that low on my list. Um, And I almost debated putting it at four. And when I tell you the game that's in front of it, it's going to be even more interesting. We've talked plenty about God of War Ragnarok. I think it's a great game. And I've said many a times being even if it was, and I don't think it is, but being the worst game in a series of great games is hardly a a, a disservice or a... I'm not throwing a jab at God of War Ragnarok. 
but I think there were some issues I had with it from a pacing standpoint, from a getting tired of certain gameplay elements that it leaned heavily on that I feel like of gaming is trying to move out of. <clears throat> and uh, a few other things that I don't want to say too much without getting into spoiler territory. Um, still love the game. Still understand why people see it as a game of the year. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't mine. I respect that, my friend. All right, so my number five game. I just rejiggered my list and changed it up. Um, <laughs> so my number five game is Cult of the Lamb. It's a truly wonderful dungeon crawler, roguelike, cult building game. And I loved it, and I can't wait to get back to it and actually get the Platinum. That game almost made my um, games I wish I'd played list. Mm-hmm. Almost. I, I uh, wish you had I played I chose it. Tunic over it, but that's okay. Gotcha. I'm a, it is what it is. Well, you got access to them both, so hell yeah. What's your number four, brother? Oh, okay. You don't want to expound on why you loved it so much? You don't have to. I, I mean, it, it's just... Gameplay, gameplay, gameplay on top of a really funny um, town management sim. You know, I love, I loved the fact that they were all lambs. That was great. Um, but stuff like some of your people coming up to you and being like, it's been my lifelong dream to eat poop. Can you please make <laughs> poop happen for dinner? And then you do that and they give you bonuses. Like that kind of stuff is fun. But then the gameplay is, it's very simple. But it is also very deep, and I had a lot of fun exploring that and going through and being like, okay, the best way for me to do the boss without getting any damage is to use this thing that actually makes everything harder, but buffs my damage without every time I every kill I get without getting hit. So it was it was a very fun to find that balance of how to play the game best, and I just really enjoyed the time I spent with it this year. Yeah, I think it's a great game. I've heard some people say the reason that it kind of pushed out a game of the year thoughts in their mind is that the game had some issues from a performance standpoint and some bugs. I don't know of that because I, of course, didn't play them. I don't remember having you mention any bugs, but it's an indie game. And I think to some degree, the charm of it outweighs any bugs anyway. And it, maybe it depends on uh, system. You were playing it on PlayStation. Most of the other people that mentioned performance and bugs are playing it on Switch. Maybe the Switch version in particular was having issues. Shocking. <laughs> no, <laughs> shocking. Can you believe the Switch does not run a game well? Oh, man. Spread, hit me with your Darn. number four, brother. <laughs> All right. My number four is about to ruffle some feathers because oh, it's boy. even hard. It's hard to describe. Sonic Frontiers. <laughs> oh, good fucking God. <sighs> Tell me why. Yeah, no, super fun. And like uh, like Rude Cold recently stated, there is something almost biomutant-like about it to, uh, to invoke that name again, to where in spite of every bit of jank that the game does have, and it has plenty, going through it is just super fun. 
it's so gameplay oriented. It does have a story, but it knows when to put the gameplay first and when to put the story second. It knows not to overbear you with one or the other. And it was such a great change of pace over something like God of War Ragnarok, which is super story heavy and spends a lot of time completely removing control from you as the character. Uh, are from you as the player being able to actually move in order to tell you a compelling story. And while I do understand why you need to do that sometimes, and some of the times in the game I didn't think they needed to do that, or they allowed me to play, but in the most limited way possible, Sonic Frontiers was like the opposite of that. It was like, well, you're going to play the game, and it, you know we're going to show you cutscenes occasionally, but they're going to be short to the point. They're going to get you what you need to know, get you invested in the world, celebrate Sonic's history up to this point, try and actually tie all the games together for once, which we see them doing with the lore master. And we're going to do all wrapped within this incredibly fun package of an open world that feels like it should feel disjointed when you look at it, but when you start playing the game, it feels right it feels like it makes sense. And then you juxtapose the open world with these very tightly crafted uh, cyberspace levels. And some of them are not as great as others. I'll give it that. But whenever they are hitting, it's great to have a traditional style Sonic level within this open world one where you kind of get the best of both worlds without feeling like the game is worse off for trying to cater to both. I do think the game's better for attempting to do both and a follow-up could be even better. So yeah, I'm going I'm to give it the Biomutant treatment. Even if this game wouldn't have gotten in the mid-70s or whatever it landed on, um, you know, this is that game for me where the score is completely irrelevant of my experience with the game. So yeah, right. Sonic got a 71. So the way I view it, right? Right now, looking at it, Sonic landing at a 71, Forspoken being at a 68, to go back to that question, Rude Days, no, I don't need to worry about review scores. <laughs> I don't need to look at reviews any differently than I already do because Sonic Frontiers is one of my favorite games this year, and it's only three points above Forspoken right now. So do with that what you will. All right, buddy. Chris. Sonic Frontiers. All right. My number four game is another indie game, a game that I am terrible at, but I am hopelessly addicted to, and that is Neon White. Dude, that actually sh maybe should have made my games I wish I'd played. It's definitely up there. That game looks amazing, and it looks challenging. <laughs> There's nothing like that game I've ever played. A card-based platforming Also a card FPS. game. Yep. Yeah. It's fabulous if i can phantom dust is some it's like you took the idea of phantom dust and made it more of like a straight like you're moving through a continuing level instead of being in an arena from what i've seen at least right you're you're trying to work through a level correct yes yeah whereas phantom dust is more like multiplayer in an arena but it is like I don't think it's first person. It may not be. I can't remember right now. I don't think it is. But it's card-based combat against another player who's doing combat. And you have a deck that you move through and you have different types of moves. Mm -hmm. I can feel that inspiration in Neon White. But Neon White looks incredible. Stylistically, gameplay-wise, soundtrack-wise, it looks like it's got a bopping soundtrack. And from everything I've heard so far, I can't imagine it would disappoint in that regard. What do you think? Yeah, you'll you'll be very happy. It's just, it's that, it's I, it's what I imagine people who love Gran Turismo love about Gran Turismo in a first person FPS. 
And it's, again, there's nothing like it. And I just, I love it so much. And I really do hope you end up playing it one day. Yeah, no, I definitely intend to. I may need to add that to my list of games. Platinum is a strong thing. I don't know how hard the platinum is for that game. Have you looked? I have no idea. I'm, I'm scared to look. You normally immediately look. So I'm proud of you for just pulling the trigger and playing a game separate of that. It's an 8 out of 10 difficulty, 6 playthroughs, 40 hours. <laughs> well, it's probably not going to hit that list then. Uh, who knows? If I start playing it, fall in love. You, never you know might. If you liked Mirror's Edge, I would be shocked if you didn't like it. I have heavily debated doing the Mirror's Edge Catalyst Platinum because I like that game. It's a great game. All I can say is my list will tell you that I really like card games apparently this year. Oh uh, yeah, one of my games will tell you that too, but we're not quite there yet. <laughs> uh, so number three for me is the game that I was admittedly harsh on within friends groups. I think I may have talked about it a very little on the show prior to playing it when they were first showing it. Mm-hmm. Pokemon Legends Arceus. Wow, is a game that by all accounts I thought that I would not enjoy. I thought it was just going to be. Nintendo trying to Breath of the Wild every one of their franchises. I was wrong about that. There's maybe some influence, but that's not really what's happening there. I think it's the Pokemon game that I've been waiting for since I kind of got bored with the formula back in black and white. X and Y revamped my love for the old formula, and then Oros, you know, Omega Ruby, Alpha Sapphire, uh, mm-hmm. reignited my love for that that particular gen, as it's my favorite Pokemon gen. Um, and I love the ideas in those games. They introduced a lot of stuff to change that formula to some degree. But then it kind of fell off as they kept trying to minorly change the formula, which is still what they're doing with Scarlet and Violet, but they've taken the biggest jump yet, thankfully. Um, but Arceus just has this interesting play style to where I've never felt as much like somebody trying to go out and learn about Pokemon and complete the Pokedex because this is the only game where the Pokedex matters. It's the only game where you have to catch a certain number of Pokemon and get a certain number of Pokedex entries and getting a Pokedex entry is not just catching a Pokemon. It's catching multiple of the same Pokemon looking at the gender differences when you catch them. Now, of course the game doesn't have you actually do that, but the game's like, well, you have to catch, 10 of them and see how the size of these 10 differ, uh, how the, you know, the, the gender, uh, disproportion, you know, is, is it primarily male and female? Is it uh, unisex? Is it, or whatever you want to say, is it sexless? Uh, all of those things come into play by you catching them a lot. And then you, okay, well now you want to see what their typing is, what they're weak to. Well, you have to battle it a number of times and you have to see it use its signature move, or you have to use a, a move it's weak to against it a number of times And I just love that idea of making the Pokédex, which they've always pretended is supposed to be the motivating factor for a Pokémon game. They finally made it be the motivating factor for the game. And I thought that was cool. Hell yeah, brother. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. And most of what I loved about it, not most, a lot of what I loved about it made its way to Scarlet and Violet, and I hope it will continue to make its way into the mainline Pokemon games so that I have a chance of enjoying those more. I have enjoyed Scarlet more than Sword and Shield, but I've also still not finished it. So mm-hmm. say with that what you will, but Pokemon Legends Arceus didn't miss my guy. Hell fucking yeah, it didn't. I didn't, get the, I didn't play much of it, but I liked it. All right. Okay, what's your number three, buddy? My number three game is also a Switch game. 
And my number three game is the sublime Nintendo Switch Sports. Oh, I've heard great things. It's fan-fucking-tastic. And what, last episode, maybe the one before that, I talked about my addiction to uh, PlayStation, the the, the sports, oh, Arsenal, whatever it was called. Yeah. Yeah, the one that came with PS Move. Uh, I think it's Sports Champions. Yeah. I Dude, sports I adore Champions. that game. So I can completely understand why Wii Sports is digging it for you. Yeah, it's so much fun. Like, me, my mom, my dad will all play. Like, me and Sadie play. Like, it's just, it's great. I love the online mode. It's just an awesome game. If you've got a Switch and 60 bucks, play it. <laughs> what are the sports options on it? Um, let's see. Tennis, badminton, soccer, volleyball, fencing, bowling, and golf. Okay. I'm a little disappointed that I guess fencing would get as close to that as possible. One of my favorite things as a sports champions was this arena mode where you had a sword and a shield. Yeah. And you could like shield bash and like yeah. duck and dodge everybody. It's kind of like that, yeah. I loved that. I played easily 100 plus hours of, of wow. arena. And I used to do, I used to sweat like crazy, get super into it because back then, none of the houses I've lived in in my entire life had heat or air in them. So I'm just playing in the dead of cold or in the crazy hot of summer, sweating my ass off with no air conditioning, having a good time. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I need to, I need to look a little more into it. Maybe that's something me and my wife could play together. You should. It's it's great. Bowling, if nothing else. We can hit it with that old uh, cousin. You want to go bowling? <laughs> Good. All right, Chris. If I remember correctly, one of your big accomplishments this year was winning a game of Wii Sports Bowling while you were pooping. That's 100% true. Yep. I did win an online game on the toilet. That was great. Proud Best of console you. Of Does that time. mean that like, on the toilet, you're sitting there arm down <laughs> pretending to bowl? That's 100% what was happening. Yep. I love it. I love it. Man. All right. Game number two is a little game that Chris has been talking about forever and told Saul and I to play and play and play and play when it was only a little PC game. Mm -hmm. When it finally made its way this year to PlayStation, hence why it's on my game of the year list. It did technically release last year on PC, but Inscription. Inscription is one of the most interesting games I have ever played, and it almost pushed out for full game of the year. I need to go back and try and finish the Platinum run, but the Casey's Mod challenges are literally the hardest shit. They're very challenging. They're super fun. It is a game that constantly switches things up constantly adds and removes mechanics and makes you think there's no way it's going to do something different. And then it does. And it does also within a very intriguing mystery. And we were talking on uh, Twitter today about Forspoken being inevitably more interesting when it was just known as Project Athia and nobody really knew much about it. And it was just that little teaser trailer. And this game has that kind of feeling going for it. They even though they've shown you enough to get you to want to buy it, right? The way that they advertise it, you're not seeing the whole game. You're not seeing the game for what it really is. And that's the beauty of inscription is what lies beneath the surface. Fantastic game, super challenging, some really crazy fun card combos that you can pull off within its different things. I showed Chris where I had gotten up to what was it, Chris? Like a hundred thousand, ten thousand. Yeah. It something was something crazy. Insane. And I 
I just kept going because I wanted to see. And I told Chris eventually I just stopped because I realized it was going to let me keep going forever uh, to create a monster that had like over 10,000 attack. And just for reference, a lot of the cards in that game, like six is a high attack. <laughs> That's like a naturally high attack for a card. So if you can make something that can get you up into the 10,000 range, you're doing something pretty wild. Uh, Chris, I know you love Description 2. I did love it. But you also didn't beat it last year. No, but I didn't beat it this year. Nor either, did you so. beat it this year. <laughs> you, you're a fake fan, Chris. I'm disappointed in you. You're a bigger Inscription fan than me. I'll give you that. I think Sean may be a bigger Inscription fan than I am. That's I don't definitely know, true. That's I yeah. wouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah. I mean, he's doing Casey's mod, so we're both at least made it that far. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I wish All right, luck. Chris. So what is game number two with you then? So game number two is one of the games that steals the most of my time when I am either sitting at my desk or not sitting at my desk because my number two game is a card game Marvel called Snap. Marvel Snap. <laughs> yes, sir. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Marvel Snap is so fucking good, Brett. <laughs> like if you like competitive card games... Marvel Snap is excellent. I have some issues Here's the problem. with it. I already have one. I'm not playing multiple. It's not a value judgment on Marvel Snap. I play Yu-Gi-Oh! I try playing a little bit of Flesh and Blood with Blaze, and I have that deck, and I'll play it occasionally. I play Digimon occasionally. I do not have time to com- sink into a competitive card game. Definitely a digital one. I well, get you don't it, have to buy the pass. cards. Marvel Snap is... Fuck you. Marvel Snap is fucking sick. And it is number two on my game of the year list. <laughs> I'm going to hit it with that Ariana Grande. Thank you, next. Now, what do you love about it? Um, no, it's just so much fun. Um, I love, and this is why I'm actually very upset that Gwent died. Such a terrible death. Because me and Sean, who we mentioned occasionally Great game. on the show, is, is, we were huge Gwent guys. He was like one of the better players in the world, from what I remember. And I was riding his coattails but it's so much fun i love <laughs> card games where and i don't think Yu-Gi-Oh has this no it does but not as not as digestible i guess where i with marvel snap i play my deck so much that i know from turn one if i'm gonna win and i know how i'm gonna do it and i know i love I love seeing like okay all my buffs went off and this buff went off and i just destroyed a guy you know, who thought he was going to win. I love getting like in this game, you'll hit the cubes and you can get up to eight cubes a game if both people snap. And I love when people will snap on me first turn and then I just absolutely decimate them and put them in the dirt. Um, it's just so much fun. I'm, I'm up to gold. I'm around, I'm ranked 44. So I'm not the highest and I'm not the highest person ever, but I just have so much fun with Marvel Snap, and even even at work, like everyone knows, I work in restaurants, and I'll just be I'll just be cleaning it the restaurant at the end of the night, and probably spend an extra forty five minutes that I need to because I've got Marvel Snap going on one hand, like while I'm cleaning the restaurant. So I just I'm hopelessly addicted. I I played That's a couple games before we even started. <laughs> well, if I hope you don't listen to the show, and if you do, it is flavor text. Uh, hey, I'm salary. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I worked 70 hours a week for you guys a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, yeah. Marvel Snap is is fucking excellent, and you should absolutely play Marvel Snap if you have not given it a shot yet. 
to your point about having decks where you can get in and immediately know if you're going to win or at least hi- highly think that you're going to win. Yeah. I love seeing those moments fall apart, though. Uh, just oh, yeah. a little short story. My buddy was playing uh, Master Duel. And yep. he built up a deck. It's a tune deck, which is a little more uncommon. But he built it up, and I was watching him play. And in his first turn, he had a crazy board out, and he had his opponent down to like 1,600 health, right? And his board was like a bunch of heavy hitters, but that was pretty much it. And they can attack direct because they're tunes. Anyway, he kept just talking shit to this guy the whole time. He's like, there's no way. This guy just might as well just end the turn because I'm going to win. There's no way he can even beat me. And then I watched in a single turn, this guy turn around and completely destroy him <laughs> with stuff he had never even seen. It was amazing. It, dude, there's like, when you see somebody who's super cocky get their shit taken down a peg, that shit, oh, it's like food for the soul. I love it. <laughs> oh. I live for the moment when someone's just like, 100%, there's no way you're wrong. And then and then you just prove yourself right, and then you just get to watch their face as they have to deal with it. And it was so funny because the guy that was dueling my buddy Andrew, my, my buddy Andrew is saying in real life whenever we play Yu-Gi-Oh! is he'll never surrender, right? He doesn't do the hand on the deck to surrender and move on to the next uh, duel. But in the game, he does to save time. And he went from talking about how he was going to win to once the guy turned everything around on him in the middle of the turn where he was clearly about to lose, he just surrendered and was like, his reasoning is what got me. He said, I'm just going to go ahead and leave this. This is taking too long. This is longer than I thought this duel was going to be. <laughs> like, no, you're, you knew you were about to lose, so you'd rather just surrender. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad you're liking Marvel Snap. It's, it, yeah. it's uh, wonderful. I don't recommend it highly enough. Or I can't recommend it highly enough. Well, here we go into my game of the year for 2022. You have any oh, guesses boy. of what it might be, Chris? Uh, no, because I would have said Conan Exiles. <laughs> well, that didn't come out this year. Though some know. good updates did. Age of Sorcery. Uh, hmm. For some reason, I feel like Need for Speed Unbound, but that seems like a crazy answer. It's not Unbound. It's a great game, and I really love it, and I almost put it in A-list. Is it um, MLB 22 The Show? <laughs> 100% not, but it is a type of game that could learn a little bit from how MLB 22 The Show learn, knows how to uh, really keep its player base with content and stuff to do that keeps it interesting, at least for that one year that the game is being supported and working through. I talked about this a little bit on the uh, awards show that the PS Trophy Room, uh, the, the, the Trophy Room, uh, the PlayStation podcast did. Mm-hmm. The guys asked me on to be part of their uh, their racing and sports uh, category. Whoa. And my game of the year, and also, I guess, technically, sports and racing game of the year, <laughs> is Gran Turismo 7. And I know it's been since March since I've really talked about my addiction to that game, but it's a game I easily put over 100 hours into. I'm very close to the Platinum. I'm probably going to go back and try and Platinum it whenever the VR headset gets in because, ha, maybe my 2023 game of the year will get to be the PSVR 2 version of Gran Turismo (laughs) 7, which I will play a copious amount of with my headset, with my steering wheel set up going, 
Uh, hopefully I'll get a new one here soon so I can set up the shifter on it and teach my wife how to drive like I talked about. But that game is phenomenal. And it is exactly what I talked about with Sonic Frontiers. It is a game that is gameplay first. Nothing but gameplay. And something about this year, a kind of switch to what I would have expected. Um, this year was really the year of most of my favorite games being almost entirely gameplay driven inscription has a fantastic story that it knows how to utilize, but it takes, it, it takes a backseat while also being woven into every aspect of the game while still making sure that it's worrying about gameplay first and foremost. And that's a really interesting skill. Sonic frontiers does a pretty similar thing. Pokemon legends Arceus, I think does a similar thing. The only really story heavy game I gave any kind of attention to, um, this year was God of War Ragnarok in terms of a nod on the list. Um, I think Horizon Forbidden West, great game. I enjoyed it, got the platinum, but it did not hit that level for me. Uh, I was telling Chris, and this year, a lot of games I thought would have originally been that, like, oh yeah, I'm playing a one of my game of the years right now, just came up slightly shy of that. And that doesn't mean they're bad games and I didn't love them, but it was harder to give them the immediate universal praise that I gave their predecessors like God of War 2018 and Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, and who knows the reasons for that? Maybe it's me and my taste changing. Maybe it's playing iterations that are more perfected versions of games that came out in 2018 and 2017. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's that Horizon Forbidden West is a perfected version of a 2017 formula that's just not as interesting as it was in 2017 when the gaming landscapes changed. Maybe it's not. It's hard to quantify. Uh, but yeah, Gran Turismo 7 did everything from a gameplay standpoint that I wanted. Conan Exiles being the top of that list was the same thing. It was all about the gameplay. Yeah, there's cool story and cool boss stuff going on. But uh, gameplay, my game of the year this year is gameplay. <laughs> but Gran Turismo 7 <laughs> encapsulates that. I love that. Good for you. All right, Chris. Number one, buddy. Do you have any guesses? Hmm. Vampire Survivor. Oof. No. I should have put that on the list, but I did not. I can't My number believe six you didn't put game that on of the list. year is Vampire Survivors. <laughs> oh. Okay, now I'm phone for a loop. I don't list. know. I'm trying to think of what your big games for this year was. Oh man, all the games I feel like you've recently like been head over heels for are the ones we just talked about, and then games that came out a while back that you just recently fell in love with, like Red Dead and Death Stranding and stuff like that. Uh huh. Did Death Stranding collect? <laughs> no, <laughs> Death Stranding director's edition didn't come out in 2022, did it? It was last year. It was on my list last year for sure. Okay, that's what I was saying. I thought it was. All right, Chris. I don't know. You. I mean, really. So my number one game of the year is another licensed game and it is another card game because my 2022 game of the year is Marvel's Midnight Suns. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I did know that. I think Marvel Snap occupied that space in my brain. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, no, I get you. So basically you're a Marvel slut. It's okay, Chris. Yeah, I mean, that definitely seems right. Um, for at least this year because uh, holy shit is Midnight Suns fun it is just the encapsulation of perfect gameplay and everyone should play it you haven't 
gotten the last trophies that you were going to get. I have not gotten the last trophy because I basically need to do another full playthrough. And I adore Midnight Suns, but I've played about 100 hours of the first playthrough, and I'm going to go ahead and wait a little bit to get that last trophy. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. All right, Chris. So with your moment, you sell me on why I should play Midnight Suns. I mean, clearly the money aspect's gone. So why (laughs) should I take the time to hit the download button for Marvel's You should take the time to download it because you don't have any investment in it, and I'm telling you it's good. (laughs) I mean, that's really... I need more than that, Chris. So do these listeners. But the reality (laughs) is that Midnight Suns is the perfect distillation of just pure gameplay. You pick a card, you do your attack, and it is fun every time. Um, Midnight Suns is probably the only game in which I've skipped every cutscene and don't know the story of that I absolutely adore. That's pretty wild. There's a lot of things wrong with Midnight Suns, but the gameplay is so good that it is the best game I played this year. I know this is gonna this is just becoming a a thing, but now I wonder where uh, Midnight Suns landed Metacritic. Probably 82. 82. Oh, yeah, that's- Look at me. All right. Yeah. Not the highest ranked game of the year, but the animations are great. Gameplay. Yeah. Interesting that we landed on uh, gameplay driven games, which I'm a little less surprised for you. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like gameplay driven games are, are severely gameplay driven games are very out of your wheelhouse. But for a long time, I really loved story-heavy games with a secondary loving of getting my gameplay pure focus from like, uh, or at least overwhelmingly gameplay focused from indie games like uh, Death's Gambit and um, Dead Cells and Hollow Knight, which I think Hollow Knight also has an excellent story that it's telling within its world. Uh, But that goes into the, does Elden Ring have a narrative argument all over again? (laughs) Uh, Point being... I feel like this year has been a very odd turning point for me where I'm starting to be more particular about my story-heavy games and then I'm expecting a lot from them in a different way. I don't know why that is. It's uh, something I'm going to have to spend a little more time quantifying and seeing see if this year kind of turns that around with a bunch of games coming or what. I would have thought that 2022 would have been the year to do that with follow-ups to games I absolutely adored. Um, but it, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, It was still a great year for story-driven games, but most of my absolute joy in gaming came from gameplay first. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. It's, uh, it's yeah. interesting. I think all five of my game are really gameplay games. So, Yeah. Do we want to yeah. uh, wrap up quick, recap the lists, and then get ourselves out of here, buddy? I don't personally feel a need to recap the list, but if you want to, we can absolutely do that. And then we can uh, go ahead and ask the listeners the obvious community's take for this episode, which is what is your game of the year for 2022? Mm -hmm. And what's your underdog game? Like, I want one game that may not be your game of the year, but it's a game that you absolutely adore that you just want to shout out. Definitely if it's one that you know we haven't talked about much or at all. Play Marvel Snap. Hi. 
Chris's is clearly Marvel Snap. Mine's Conan Exiles. Go ahead. Play a bunch of Conan Exiles. Play Traps of Midgard. If you want to play Traps of Midgard, hit me up. Uh, I wouldn't do I mean, that. it was free on uh, PS Plus. Hey, fuck you, Chris. Anyway, um, yeah. So this has been episode 292 of Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. Chris, have yeah, you gotten everything in you out that needs to be out of you? I think so, yeah. Um, I was, it was a great year. Great, decent year for games. Um, play Marvel Snap. Loose me on That's the ladder. That's the sage wisdom you can uh, you can leave them yep. with. All right, guys, we will see you next week for episode two ninety three. Uh, hopefully, there'll be some more news. It's still in that early kind of quiet time, but with Forspoken hitting and causing some controversy and Dead Space right on the cusp of coming out, I, I think we maybe started to get to get into a little bit more of the the juicy time of the year when news starts rolling. But with that in mind, this has been episode two ninety two, and we will see you next week shout out to our patrons who headed over to patreon.com slash nartech and gave us as little as a dollar per month and supported the show directly those are brandon edwards savoy prime alex barry rogers stingray x it's a sin to win aka sean aztec king lechion 69 the lord corgi salvador garcia hammond egger bailey robertson cypher primus kyle grimm Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Christopher, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Sanderud, and Steven Salazar. Thanks to each and every one of you, and we hope you have a good one. <laughs>